I think this show is going to need more budget going forward. Yeah, I think that they realize that as well. Well, because like, I mean, you think that there's some crazy effects happening now? Yeah. Like as this series progresses, you haven't even gotten to it yet. Like it's going to, it gets bonkers. Yeah. And on a level that Game of Thrones never goes to, in my opinion, right. like it's, it's going to be a lot. Welcome, friends, to episode 209 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, we discuss Rafe Judkins' 2021 series, The Wheel of Time. We're in person again. We're sitting side by side. Yeah. Uh, there's a good vibe in the room right now. <laughs> yeah. But um, we're talking The Wheel of Time, and this episode is on the first four episodes of the show. Right. Very excited to talk about it. Uh, we've been hanging out with each other the last like week and haven't been able to say a word about it. So this is it. <laughs> the floodgates are about to open. Yeah. Uh, we do want you to go check out our book episodes if you haven't already. We do a lot to cover uh, Robert Jordan's vision of, of the story. And now we're going to jump into Rafe Judkins and so many other people who, who worked on this. Yeah. And the show so far has gotten pretty, I would say in, in most ways, past where the book is. So if you've seen the first four episodes of the show... Um, the books won't spoil anything for you. And then, yeah, uh, we, we will get into spoilers here in a minute for the show, but I think we're going to talk generally first. But before we get to that, I did want to say uh, congratulations to my brother. He just got married. I am here in Florida for his wedding. Um, this is this Wheel of Time show is something I know he's excited about. It's one of his favorite book series. And uh, he was mentioning how he was looking forward to this one. So uh, congrats, Ben. Uh, you know, you had a great uh, ceremony. It was beautiful. And, yeah, it was uh, amazing. Congrats. Yeah. So thanks for that a little indulgence there. But yeah, uh, this show, I have so many thoughts and feelings. We watched the last two episodes together In la- last night. Pure In silence. Pure silence. We were like, we cannot speak of this. Um, it's very difficult to do. We've never done that before. Actually, like, as soon as we finished the fourth episode, Luke looked at me and said, I have no thoughts. <laughs> Zero thoughts at all. Uh, it's so funny. Like, I, I actually, I think that's a, that works out well for us that we don't watch stuff together. But normally, you know, we save it all for the podcast and it was a little more difficult this time because of that. But, um, yeah, man, I, I'm very curious to know what your thoughts are because I, I, for me, like, unless even if you didn't listen to the uh, other episodes, I'll just briefly say like, I've read almost all the books. I didn't read the last one, so I don't know exactly how it finishes, but I know a lot more about this series. Now, it was spread out over many years a long time ago, so it's not all fresh, um, but James has never read any of it, and he just started reading the book for the first time, so I think our perspectives on the show are going to be pretty different in that regard, right? You're, you're a fresh book reader who hasn't even finished one book yet, yeah. whereas I have a lot of history with these characters and everything, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm finding this interesting balance where I'm trying to decide... If I'm going to be this like book purist, like keep everything faithful uh, uh, kind of fan. Well, or you'll if be I'm, disappointed if you're that fan. <laughs> right. But what I'm saying is like as it's going on, I'm like, am I reacting to these changes so, so harshly or so happily because it's so fresh for me or because, you know, I haven't finished a book? Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting to think to kind of think of it from, from that perspective because I'm trying to uh, with it so fresh and with everything being like I'm really enjoying the book. And now, spoiler, I'm enjoying the show. But the, some of the changes, there was a little bit of some getting used to at yeah. first, and uh, we'll definitely talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those it's one of those things, right? Like you you just imprinted on the book for the first time, reading it for the first time, and and I'm sure you developed 
ideas and images in your head and then you are immediately having them challenged by the something, show. Something about this time in particular, though, because we do that all the time. We do it. We weekly. do it all the time, yeah. Something about this time in particular seemed harder for me to to uh, deal with changes. Yeah. But I'm happy to say that. What, like, what do you? Why do you think that would be? I, that's what I'm saying. It's hard for me to kind of, kind of articulate, but I, I'm trying to think that maybe because it's so fresh and I'm buying in so quickly and it, it has this connection to Lord of the Rings, which I'm so passionate about. And, yeah. and like maybe there's a lot wrapped up in that. And I, I want to see this like exactly realized version. But at the same time, I'm happy that through four episodes, my my idea of the show has been challenged. And I'm on the other side of four episodes, really happy with some of the changes in the way that the show is heading. Yeah, maybe because Robert Jordan, you know, he's really good at evoking character. He, I feel like all of these characters are really well realized. And I think uh, the epic nature of the book gives him lots of room to explore their sort of inner thoughts and feelings and behaviors. And we spend a lot of time with them doing just lots of little things. And so because you spend so much time with the characters, I think you, you start to get affectionate for them and it's interesting to me to hear that even through two uh, chunks of the book, which two thirds of it is what we've read, mm-hmm. that you've already sort of developed that. Yeah. So for me, it's 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 you know similar but different, right? So I again, I, I'm you know very familiar with the series, read it for a long time, started way back in the middle school, and um, I have long held firm ideas of like what these characters are, what they look like to me how they behave, how they speak. And coming into this adaptation for the last few years since it's been announced, I've been very aware that it's going to change. Mm -hmm. And knowing, like, I can't hold on to that because if you're a fan of a book and you hold on to those, like, imagined versions of characters, you're so often going to be disappointed. You're setting yourself up to be disappointed. So I went in expecting changes. And, um... I, I think I set myself up well to where like the differences in, in the way characters are, how they look, how they behave, how they speak for the most part, hasn't bothered me with some exceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and then the plot changes are the thing that like case by case, I have more issues with at times and more thi- like certain s- changes. I'm like, Oh, that's smart. Other changes are head scratchers for me. I mean, we and, can just start by saying like, characters foundational motivations are changed yeah. in a way and like those things those were the things that i reacted to they're all right aged away. up yeah which changes things a little bit they so their relationships are changed because of that change um yeah i mean i it's kind of spoilery for the first episode to get into a lot of this stuff so we'll we'll, we'll quickly get to that but um before we do i just yeah like general thoughts about what this show is if you were if you were talking to someone who knows nothing about wheel of time and you wanted to be really careful about it how would you describe the show to them so far in a way to either sell them on it or tell them to stay away from it what do you think yeah so my just going through my my thought process of this show is the first episode was rocky for me a bit rocky and i in a way that i was scared that it was there was a potential that we wouldn't be getting further seasons i know that just to let everybody know, season two was greenlit during the production of season one. So like that was already in the bag. But just in terms, of, that, I forgot, just in yeah. terms of reception, I was worried that people might have extreme reactions to it. Uh, and I was a little bit worried that it felt like another show trying to be the next big fantasy show. Right. And then it quickly. Well, we could say it. Game of Thrones. Yes. Right. Like the, every every reviewer in the world 
has been comparing it to Game of Thrones. I think they knew that going in. Mm -hmm. I think the shadow of Game of Thrones is on this series. At times, they're trying to appeal to Game of Thrones fans. Um, and we can talk about the relative success of that. Um, I, I absolutely agree. I think yeah. Game of Thrones has weighed heavily on their minds as they made this show. But I think they've gonna, done a good job of distinguishing themselves from Game of Thrones. And as a they lot should, of fantasy. the books are very different. Right. In a lot of ways, though. Like, yeah. tonally... Um, and, and like in terms of some of the, especially like a lot of the costuming and the world overall, they're trying to do a lot to not look like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. And I think it's working so far for me, but I wasn't quite expecting it. And I think that that's, that's, you know, I think when you think of like swords and horses and cloaks and magic, you're going to think of a certain type of fantasy and you're going to think medieval, you're going to think this and that. And like, they've done a good job of kind of still, still having a lot of that, but also like being wholly its own in a way yeah but uh so yeah to get back to like how i felt about the show overall rocky start like i said a lot of the foundational things i was like you said kind of scratching my head at i didn't understand the changes felt like it was going very quickly which is another thing the pacing feels like it's at sometimes flying by and other times it kind of gets to slow down and live in the pace that i would like to see a, a 14 book series sort of yeah. that overall the performances i'm loving the amount of money that i can tell they spent on the show like in terms of uh, the effects and a lot of the set design and giant sprawling villages and sets that they've created. Um, and as as the episodes go on, I felt stronger and stronger. And up through episode four, when I finished episode four, I was like, okay, I, I trust them and I think they can pull this off. I think they're going to be able to, to create a really fun, interesting fantasy show that a lot of people are going to tune into. And I've actually heard that it's like the you know most viewed series premiere on on Amazon Prime and stuff. So, so that's good know, news. It's a big deal, and and I think it'll be cool to follow along. It's getting a season two at the very least, and and see the reception going forward. In terms of what I've seen so far, generally people are enjoying it, and yeah. they agree that sort of along the way it gets stronger and stronger. I think it really finds its footing around episode well, four. It may even be that each episode gets better than the one previous. Mm -hmm. As you go through the first four, at least that's all we've seen. Um, so I guess if I'm recommending it to someone, I would say stick through, I think, at least to episode three. Um, but maybe if you can get all the way to four and see what you feel at that point, if you're still not liking anything, then maybe it's not going to be for you. But the first one or two, um, especially the first one, it's it's very mixed. It's um, it might turn you off and you might think, I don't know, if this is right. This is what I want. Um, they had a lot to do in that first episode. It's interesting to me, you talked about how much money they spent on it. Um, and I, I agree that you can tell that there was a lot of care in the sets and in the designs. Um, but so, I don't know. There's something a little odd about the look of the show at times. Certain things it felt like it feels like they cut some corners, making things look, uh, not as real as they should. Like certain areas, certain sets, felt maybe underdeveloped. Yeah. Um, I'm also granting a certain amount of leeway knowing that this is a season one. Yeah. Know? And that's the thing. And, and that's what I'm kind of leading this to. And like, um, same thing with like costuming, like the costumes are pretty good at times. Certain characters costumes looked a little out of place. Sometimes they'd look too clean. Like there'd be like weird, the weird choices. And, um, all of this, I have to remind myself, this is a season one and it's a season one on a show that I don't think I think there was a lot of care in production and, and there's belief in the show, but I feel like they're not quite sure they have a hit on their hands. So there's a little bit of like, eh, I don't know. 
And once I'm hoping that once they realize that this could this is a hit or that people are really loving it, it sounds like it's getting good re- reviews and good uh, response. That I hope they're going to double down because you know Amazon has the money, and um, I really hope that we're going to see this this uh, show mature and evolve into something truly great. Yeah. Right now, I don't think it's great, but it has a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to realize it the longer it goes on. So I'm really curious to see what happens in the back half of the season. Yeah. But yeah, you know, like in cla- like I feel like you look back at like older TV and this happened a lot. That pilot almost felt like a different show. Right. I'm not saying this does, but it has a bit of that like this is very piloty. They're trying to wow somebody to like sell them on the concept of the show. And then it, it has a bit of that feel. Yeah, getting back to the look of the show, like, it, again, there are certain shots where it looks good, other shots where it looks a bit janky at times, mm-hmm. I guess is the best word I can use for it. Do you, the and effects, you do, like, I don't know. And you do feel like it improves over time, like the I, shots I think, and, and I think, the cinema, cinematography? I think so. I think more than the look, I think the writing. Um, the dialogue. The dialogue. Yeah. The And honestly, character work. Like, And I know that's tough because like early on you just don't have enough time. Um but they went basically I think they went for some big swings in the first episode. Sometimes it connected and a lot of times it didn't. And they kind of whiffed. And that's tough. That's a tough place to start. Yeah, I guess overall I do recommend it. Even if you're a if you're a diehard book fan and you're like, I don't know about the show, um, I think give it a few episodes before you make up your mind. At least three or four. And then you can make up your mind if it's too different, if it's too if it's too frustrating to you as a book fan, mm-hmm. maybe this won't be an adaptation you can get behind. Um, but I also want to say, like, if you want to watch a really good Wheel of Time adaptation, I think this is going to be the only chance we get for at least a long time because it's such a massive series. There's going to have to be a lot of condensing. And they are in some ways jumping ahead to books two and three here. Um, which is something I had heard, and you can see like touches of things they're bringing in. And um, if you're really, if you're really attached to the idea of like spending all this time with like Rand and Matt on the road, and we're gonna spend all this time with them, and like it's gonna be like a hundred, two hundred, three hundred pages of the book, like you're not gonna get that in the show. They're gonna condense mm-hmm. big sections of that where like certain things happen over and over again. And yeah, in the book it works great because you're learning the characters, you're getting to know them, and you're like you're getting to live with them. But in the show, you just don't have time for that. Right. You're going to condense, you're going to speed it up, and you're going to jump past stuff quickly. Another thing I would say for book purists, like this one's going to be tweaked in the way that it also becomes more of an ensemble. And I was reading that that was a big choice of theirs was to like, it's, you know, the the original book especially is very like Rand centric. Mm -hmm. And this story has turned, it's given backstories to characters who didn't have tons of backstory and tried to, tried to really turn it into an ensemble piece. And you can definitely feel that happening. I wonder if that's a Game of Thrones effect. Cause you know, like I clearly Robert Jordan made the choice of hyper focusing on Rand and then over time, I think he knew, like, hey, I'm going to start having other characters become more central, start developing them. They're going to seem like side characters, and I'm going to bring them to the fore, and I'm going to give them a POV chapter here or there. And then before you know it, they're kind of central main characters. And I think he always kind of planned that to happen, but he he wanted to trickle it in. Mm-hmm. And instead here, they dump it all in your lap. And I feel like that's, I think, famously the Game of Thrones uh Pilot. Pilot does the same thing. And yeah. a lot of people are like, oh, my God, it's too many characters. Yep. And so I think they looked at that and they're like, well, it worked for them. So we're going to do a similar kind of thing. We're going to dump a bunch of characters on people. Mm-hmm. And um, it has mixed success, right? And then you also dump like a big event. You dump a big uh, world world changing uh, prophecies and, and uh, 
you get the you get the idea that something truly epic is happening and important and mostly good, but you know, again, has some downsides. I do also want to go through each member of the cast and talk about their portrayals of each character. Um, I think maybe that's going to be good to do early on. And then I know you have a bunch of background stuff and, and you want to talk about the filmmaker. So again, I'm like brimming with stuff to talk about, but yeah, let's do filmmaker. First. Okay. Rafe Judkins, very interesting figure, uh, American showrunner and television personality, best known for appearing as a contestant on the 11th season of survivor, Whoa! which took place in Guatemala. I didn't know that. How amazing is that? Wow. What a like, interesting. Hey, but- you can really like dig into this guy as a person. Was he, on he was a contestant. Yes. Maybe in like a bonus episode, we'll go watch some of that. We might have to. We <laughs> watch might have Rick to. Watch Rick Jenkins on Survivor. So sometime after Survivor, he decided he wanted to work in TV and went moved to LA and started working as a writer. And um, now he's had credits on shows such as My Own Worst Enemy, Chuck, and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. I've seen like a little bit of some of those shows, but I wouldn't say I'm a fan of any of them mm-hmm. i know you watched a lot of the agents of shields right yeah. right and another show that gets much better with time like the the Shield. like it was yeah started off very rough okay and um you know i think the people who stuck it out for agents of shield there's a there's a good story in there um but it had to get past the fact that it was like network tv and they had to pump out 24 episodes so that's that can be a lot for shows mm. and it was at a weird like turning period where where we're now we're getting like shows like this eight episodes of of wheel of time can you imagine the show is like a 24 episode network tv show like it would just gonna get like a different kind of thing you know if if, i know that like in my mind i want to believe that they could maintain the quality and it's like oh we get to spend more time with the characters and all this stuff but Truthfully, it would feel stretched. They thin. start. They start pushing in like every love triangle you yeah. can possibly imagine. What's, that, what's like, that line from Lord of the Rings? Like butter spread over too much bread. Yeah, like that's always what happens in those yeah. kind of situations. Yeah. So an interesting background, and like you said, I mean, like to watch that Survivor episode, the, to watch some of that that season he was in, must be an interesting exercise to see the mind of a filmmaker <laughs> in a in a show in an environment, survival environment. So, yeah, I wonder how uh, he did. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see going forward. Uh, and, and, you know, what a success story, like to, to be like, I'm going to go do this. And then, well, and then to now be show running, he's a it goes to show man. A lot of writers I know say this and, and I've seen this in creatives in general, like everybody has a different path and you try and tell someone how you did a thing. You can't tell it to them like a, like a, you know, a, a blueprint or, or whatever. It's like, uh, someone said like you're, you're, you're digging a mine or you're digging a tunnel but the problem is you're blowing the tunnel up behind you because no one can go through the same way. Right. Um, so, yeah, you could tell somebody how you dug your tunnel, but like they're going to have to dig their own tunnel and it's going to yeah. be different. They might find a pocket of your tunnel for a second or something. Yeah. Good well, advice, they, or they might learn. Yeah. Out. They might learn a method from you or something, but yeah. it's going to be different. And yeah. So you can't you can't be like, oh, well, I'll just uh, go be a contestant on the survivor and then i'll be show running the next <laughs> big fantasy series i have to assume there's like some filmmaking uh you know just being around people who are filming a show like well, he has to he had to have some background in film before absolutely that, right? yeah yeah I, yeah I would assume okay. some sort of production background yeah yeah um and the so the other person that i want to talk about who's important especially like setting up this world and getting it set Jutta Brieswitz, and uh, she's a german cinematographer and television director uh, she directed the first two episodes of wheel of time here and, you know, we've talked a lot about like the, the director who comes in the first couple episodes is really setting the tone for a yeah. lot of things within the show. Like it's interesting the- that I didn't like the first two as much. Yeah. Though. Well, I mean, t- let me let me tell you a couple credits that you've okay. been in- involved in and, and then you can kind of see why I think that she was involved. And whether you think it's that a like t- everything- It's a tough ask. Exactly. Setting something up like this is, yeah. is a huge ask. And then also like I think you will find that if you if you look at it, it is a very it is a good looking show. 
I don't know that it's necessarily the look that everybody was expecting, but it is well shot and it is like there are very cinematic scenes and and there is time like we'll talk about it in the first episode, but I'm thinking even of like Egwene jumps into the river and it's like this extended thing. But yeah, it's like good. there are moments that you get to breathe and there have are showcasing these... moments. Yeah. The show has a, a bit of a weird polish to it that yeah. I'm still I can see I'm, that. And I, that's what I mean like I'm maybe still a certain warming to a certain look that people weren't expecting because it does yeah. kind of feel more modern than what I was expecting. It doesn't yeah. feel as like classically, the, the, the colors are almost very uh, saturated. Yeah, in the show. saturated colors. Yeah. yeah, and and again, things look too clean all the time. Mm-hmm. Like people's clothes look too clean. I can see that, and that the can also be often look too clean based off of like early, you know, burning your. They, you know, I'll get to this in a little bit as well. But they had eighty million dollars to make the first eight episodes so 10 million dollars an episode which is a significant amount of money yeah but you have to think that like, but, like, a lot of that hear, money is being poured the... into like creating the sets that they're going to need and they're going to reuse and you know yeah. a lot of that kind of stuff it's like initial bill that has to be footed i wonder how much that first episode did because I, I i just remember i just read uh, reports of hbo canning a 30 million dollar prequel game of thrones pilot yeah you know spent 30 million dollars on this on this one episode i think the last season of game of thrones most most of the episodes in the last season were pushing like 15 to 20 million an episode that's it i thought there were more than that i don't i mean that's what i that's what i saw recently i was going back to look um and you know certain episodes with a lot of cgi dragons are going to be probably more and then other ones less and i'm just going to say it now i think this show is going to need more budget going forward yeah i think that they realize that as well well because like I mean, you think that there's some crazy effects happening now? Yeah. Like as this series progresses, you haven't even gotten to it yet. Like it's going to it gets bonkers. Yeah. And on a level that Game of Thrones never goes to, in my opinion. Right. Like it's it's going to be a lot. And if they want it not looking real hokey, they're going to need to spend some money on it. They're going to need to give people time Game to work of Thrones, on it. That's the thing, too. Game of Thrones set the bar really high. Yeah. With, and with, Game of Thrones, to me, always looked good. Like, that's I, what I was going to say. That's the thing. They, good. they knew how to spend their money. Yeah. And HBO was willing to give them a certain amount. And I think, honestly, if, if Amazon gives them the blank check that I think that Jeff Bezos might... For the show, Just, it could get crazy. Yeah. But the thing that we got to get Bezos on board as a fan—that's the thing. I think he See, is. I think he wanted. I think he he, he saw. I mean, I don't know that he's a fan, but I think that he was looking for a huge fantasy show for Amazon, and he's like, "We need it." Okay. And, well, because he's a big fan of the Expanse and like personally yeah. saved it, and yeah. like I have to assume he's invested in this enough to yeah. like care. But what I'm trying to say is, even if they get the blank check budget. They have to have enough time. And if they're not yeah, given enough time, time. Then they're not going to be able to do it. Uh, yeah, I don't know if this is the kind of show. I mean, they are probably going to try and put it out every year, aren't they? That's going to be tough. I don't know that it's possible. So I'll just say that now. If, if they're going to try to. Uh, I think that's what they're going to try and do, man. Yeah. I don't think they're going to want to do two year, two year shooting schedules. They might really do tough. like 18 months or 16 yeah. months or something and they might push it. Right. But yeah, it's going to have to be a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. And so it's going to be tough. But I mean, it can be done. It can we'll be see. done. We'll see. Uh, I do want to circle back to what I was talking about, though. Jutta Brieswitz uh, is the German cinematographer and television director from the first two episodes. She has worked on shows as a cinematographer and director, such as The Wire, Weeds, True Blood, Orange is the New Black, House of Lies, Awkward, Jane the Virgin, Fresh Off the Boat, The 100, Jessica Jones, Fear the Walking Dead, This Is Us, Iron Fist, Black Sails, The Defenders, uh, Altered Carbon, Westworld, Stranger Things, and Now the Wheel of Time. So experience, right. um, some of those are great. Some of those aren't. I don't know if it's certain episodes. I'd have to look, you know. Right. So, I mean, obviously very experienced in TV. 
pretty i mean like that that that's lineup good, is like pretty line, yeah. pretty untouchable i think that like if you work even the worst episode of westworld i think you're gonna think looks incredible that's true so like you're you're in pretty I good mean, stranger things is a great looking show Altered like Carbon looks good, really good a yeah lot of the there's time. some stuff on there that looks really good yeah. i mean yeah so i i think that like going that's to, just going look to, i mean it, we're talking about writing we're talking about directing you right. know like the there's some really good stuff in there um yeah, yeah. And, and she was a director on that episode of Westworld and, and a director on two episodes of Stranger Things. So there is, you know, a, a successful, well-seasoned uh, director and cinematographer mm-hmm. here that they asked to to direct this. One thing I episodes. wonder about that, though, and, and I'm not saying this is true for them, you know, but that's somebody who has a lot of experience directing TV, right? How do they feel about Wheel of Time? Right. Are they a big fan of Wheel of Time? Because ultimately... And I hope Ref Judkins is able because I know he is right, and, right. I, and I'm hoping that he's able to maintain that for this show to succeed. That you have to remember the core fan base, and the core fan base is the book fan base. And you already are going to lose some people with the changes, but you can't lose them. You can't lose them all. You lose all the book fans, you're losing the show. The show's going to get canceled. So you got to keep that in mind. And the way you do that is you do you do justice to things. And when you make changes, you make changes in a way that um, at least a good portion of the people are going to be able to get behind. Yeah. Were you able to find the details about the selling of the rights of Wheel of Time and the uh, all the stuff that happened with Robert Jordan's widow? Yeah, I actually did. So. In 2000, NBC optioned the screen rights to Robert Jordan's fantasy novel series, The Wheel of Time, but did not ultimately proceed with the production. In 2004, Jordan sold the film, television, video game, and comic rights to the series to production company Red Eagle Entertainment. In 2015, Red Eagle Entertainment paid for airtime to cable network FXX to air Winter Dragon, a 22-minute pilot for a potential The Wheel of Time series starring Billy Zane and Max Ryan, that allowed Red Eagle to hold on to the rights to the project. Yeah, I remember that was a big thing because when that came out, people like people saw it. It was aired at like 2 a.m. for its premiere. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear what was happening here. Yeah, and it was, of, and apparently it was horseshit. I've never seen it. We're gonna watch it. We gotta watch <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, if it's available. That's gonna be we're yeah. Going that's to gonna be it. a bonus. But then I, there was like lawsuits and shit after that, right? Because yeah. they had to try and get the rights back. But there was it was to maintain some clause about well, like clear, having to produce a pilot. I think that it's clear that. Harriet McDougal, who was the widow to Robert Jordan, uh, was not happy with the way that they were handling it and talked about it openly. And because of that, um, the company sued McDougal about the pilot. I thought she sued them. I they think sued it may have her? been a mutual situation. I'm not really what, countersuit or yeah. some shit. Wow. So the lawsuit was settled. I couldn't really find the details of the settlement. I'm sure. Well, it's often, often it's yeah. it's kind of secretive there might be details of like ultimately like who paid who or something like that that kind of thing yeah they held on to it for a long time i think it's clear that they knew that there was something there i mean you're thinking like in 2004 it sold so what's relevant in 2004 what's just come out oh yeah lord of the rings lord of the rings has just come out over the last three years so they they were like okay there's something here this is it we got to hold this thing but we can't make it (laughs) yeah we don't have the i mean like they probably couldn't get the funding to make it we don't have the capital we don't have the People, yeah. So people loved The Lord of the Rings, but I guarantee people looked at it and said, there's no fucking way that we could do that. Yeah. Because of the, the amount of time and money that they had to pour into the, that series to, to create it. I think other production companies looked at that and was like, that's yeah. a fucking headache. Let's make easy home runs instead. Well, and one thing I will say for this one, you watch the opening credits. I think I saw uh, Brandon Sanderson as a consulting producer, executive yep. producer. Yep. I saw Harry McDougal's name was listed there. So it's got the blessing 
um, of, of, you know, obviously not Robert Jordan because he's passed away, but um, which we talked about, by the way, in last episode, if you don't know much about it, we can, you can hear about it there. Um, but yeah, we, uh, this seems like it's got the blessing. Um, now that does that mean that they have any creative control? Probably not. I don't know. I don't know that you saw that in your, in your notes or not, but, um, at the very least they've given it their blessing that, that, that this is an adaptation that they are allowing to happen and approve of. So hopefully that bodes well for it. I mean, it bodes well to me that like, that makes yeah. me, me feel a lot safer. And, and you know, these you don't days, want that shady shit happening yeah. with like some BS pilot. Right. That's just like, it's very clear that they just wanted it for the money at that point. Like they weren't passionate about the story. No. If you're, if you're releasing some bullshit. Well, they're probably hoping to fucking ransom it, right? Yeah. Like we're going to hold on to this shit. And if you want it back from us, pay us some crazy right. amount of money. Yeah. I think that we should jump into this, the uh, actual plot. Yeah, we got to, man. Because we have a lot to talk about. We got about. a lot to get there. So the first episode is called Leave Taking. Again, directed by Yuda Breezewitz. Years ago, the male half of the One Power became corrupted, driving male channelers insane and Louis Theron Telemon, a channeler known as the Dragon, tore the world apart in his madness. Moiraine is an Aes Sedai who can channel an elemental force called the One Power. Some Aes Sedai wish to eliminate male channelers, but Moiraine and her warder, Lan Mandragoran, search for the Dragon's reincarnation to defeat the Dark One. Their search leads them to Emmons Field and four possible candidates, villagers Randalthor, Paranebara, Matt Cawthon, and Egwene Alvir, whom they plan to take to the White Tower, the Aes Sedai seat of power. Rand, who is besotted with Egwene, is disappointed that she intends to become the next Wisdom, a village leader and healer who cannot wed. Trollocs, beasts following the Dark One, ambush Emmons Field, and Nynaeve Almira, the current Wisdom, is taken and Perrin accidentally kills his wife, Lila. Moiraine battles the Trollocs with the One Power and is injured. Rand, Perrin, Matt, and Egwene reluctantly join Moiraine and Lan on their journey back to the White Tower to keep the Trollocs away from Emmonsfield. Ah, yes. The first time James has gotten to read a summary for some Wheel of Time shit, and you get to try and pronounce 15, 16, 17 different names in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, I actually saw something online that Robert Jordan's <laughs> The Wheel of Time book series has 2,782 named characters. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's, that sounds like a lot of fun to read all Yeah, of yeah. And man, um, speaking of just pronunciations real quick, Lon is apparently how they pronounce it in the audiobook, And that, so I was like, I guess I got to change it to Lon. I've always said Lan and then... Sure as hell, they're calling him Lan in the show. So I, I'm going back to Lan. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I I can't follow how we're supposed to pronounce a lot of these names. I also say Egwene sometimes, but I know it's Egwene. I'm gonna try. Right. Um, we're we'll assume that the pronunciation in the show is now the new canonical version. Um, so we'll 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 make an attempt. All right, man. So episode one, first impressions. Um, I'm sitting down to watch it, overcome with all this excitement, right? Like it's been years. I've been just like, oh, I'm gonna watch this thing and. Um, you know, it's, it's such a mixed bag. It's like, I'm excited to see, but then like, I don't know, the opening scene doesn't look super great with the effects. Well, the opening scene being like more rain getting like ready with the voice. Oh no, that looked fine. I meant the, um, uh, the, the, all of the red Aes Sedai coming in and and getting the guy and there's like kind of a magic sequence that just doesn't look very good in my opinion. Um, and, and that's the kind of stuff that like, I'm still like mixed on the way they're showing the weaves working really Um, but i would say it looked better in the fourth episode in particular i started to see like maybe why they're making certain choices Mm -hmm. um and it has some of the episode four we'll get to it has some of the best effects but here early on i was still kind of mixed like 
book purists will tell you like this is not really how the how it's described like this is not how it looks in the books when mm-hmm. he, they're they're doing these weaves but i think they're really leaning into the idea of a weave mm-hmm. and so they make things very like a lot of strands mm-hmm. um but it's also kind of misty and um it gets very swirly and i don't know i mm-hmm. i can see people hating it yeah but i i'm kind of mixed on it um, and I, I would say that if you're also mixed on it, give it a chance. That's what I'm trying to do. And I think it's starting to make more sense and starting to, I'm starting to come together a little bit more and they do other things with the magic and the magic starting to come alive. And this is the thing, like this is a, this is not a light magic show, like a game of Thrones. This is a heavy magic show mm-hmm. and, uh, and the magic isn't going anywhere and it's just going to get bigger and, and grander and crazier and if you want to make it work, you have to make sure it looks good. And um, I'm that's the thing I'm kind of skeptical about, but I'm hoping they can pull off. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. I just want it to look pretty good. Right. If it looks pretty good, I'll be happy. So one of the things that I thought of immediately with the first episode, and you're talking about the effects and that sort of thing is, uh, and this isn't something that I disliked. It was something that I was, and I think I was willing to give it more leeway than I gave this, is Shadow and Bone, which we covered. Oh yeah, and and the way that the effects and the magic looked in that show were just good enough, I think. And they were, yeah. they, were they were there were times that they looked great. There were times it didn't look great. That's a but great it, comparison as far as like how the show looks too. Yeah, I was thinking about that a lot. Yeah. So I I was wondering like if this is like the modern cheapest way to make a fantasy show, but as time went on, like the weaving most economical, right? Way, economical, yeah, yeah. yeah. The the way that they can actually make it feasible to to do this kind of stuff and um. You know the weaving at first, and there's there's some some stuff that Moiraine does with the where she's throwing all these chunks of the inn and stuff. Yeah. Uh, which obviously we're in spoilers. We've read a you know. We're, yeah. We're, we're as we're getting into these way. episodes, yeah. we're going to spoil each episode. So she that that stuff was like ooh, and some of the times you look at the Trollocs and they look kind of weird. But overall, like I'm I'm giving it leeway with the caveat that it needs to get better as time goes on. Yeah. All right. Well, you just mentioned the Trollocs. I think we got to talk about them. Okay. Yeah. So the Trollocs, um, they are. I think mostly good. They right. look they look pretty scary. Well, and I'm I'm here to happy to report that they did a lot of practical augmentation. So it's like right, and mm. I could tell at times right. like that's a real thing. That's a real thing. Um, there are other times where you can tell fully CGI. Right. Um, and it depends on how you feel about that. I'm not someone who's completely against that. I just you don't want to only have that. You want it to be a mix. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that they are bigger than orcs. Um, and they differentiate themselves from orcs pretty well, which mm-hmm. I think is a good thing to do here. Sure. Um, there was a weird thing, especially in this first episode, where it felt like they made them almost like hyper fast. They were pretty fast. In kind of a weird way. Mm-hmm. Like it almost felt unreal how quickly they were moving. And I, I get that they're right. I think they're trying to make them scary. Right. But um, it, it because they moved so quickly through the environment, I think sometimes it really highlighted that it was fake. It was fake. Yeah. And so that sometimes, yeah, again, it's a mixed bag. I can see what they're going for, but the execution just wasn't quite there. Yeah. And I, I do, like I said, I think that this is an opportunity for us to like give them a little bit of slack here, knowing yeah. that it's going to get better. And it, it has to, because if, if it still looks like this in season five or something like that, yeah. I, people are going to check out. I don't think it, I don't I, think it will. Yeah. And I don't either. So let's talk more about like characters. Yeah. We got, yeah, yeah we got, we got to run down. We can't spend too much time on them, but let's, let's hit each, each major one maybe here quickly. 
mean, we, yeah. we can touch a little bit on their further portrayals in later episodes, too. Uh, all right, let's start with Rand. How did you feel about uh, Yosha Stradowski's portrayal? Uh, I think the guy looks a little bit like Anakin Skywalker in the prequels. I felt the exact same way. It's um, funny that you say that, because I, <laughs> when I looked at him, something about the way his, like, resting face looks like an Anakin to me. Yeah, which is kind of a red flag for me, but I'm not going to blame him too much. That's just how he looks. Um, he's okay. Um, I, I think he, the potential's there for him to do something cool with the character that's a character that has a massive arc throughout the series um, goes some really interesting places. I don't think he's having to do any of the like really difficult stuff that he's going to have to do mm-hmm. with the character over time. Um, so I'm really curious to see how he handles it. I think I keep... he looks like a young guy yeah. who's probably like I'm, he's fully capable. I'm not saying he seems like he's still learning, but I think there's room to grow even as an actor. Yeah. And I think he's going to have to to really bring this role to life as he progresses. But there's nothing that makes me think he can't. Yeah, there, it, it reminds me, of, and of course, like the comparison's always going to be there, but it reminds me of a Kit Harrington yeah. having to play a Jon Snow. Exactly, yeah. You know, I like, mean, like you look at early Kit Harrington or early uh, uh, Richard Madden uh, from Game of Thrones, like early on, I remember when he first showed up, I was like, is this guy going to be Rob Stark? Like, I don't know. Right. But he, I mean, I think he does a great Rob Stark eventually. So For like, sure. again, you have room to grow into the role. And I think, I think there's nothing this, about him that, that says he, he won't be able to, he does like, he looks like a male model. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. like, that's, Always kind of an odd look for me, mm-hmm. but again, that's not a that's not a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. But there are sometimes people who are like, they look too perfect mm-hmm. for a certain Sorry, role. We'll scar him up, scrub some dirt in his face and stuff. Yeah, and get him in the series a little more. <laughs> I think get he'll, there. he'll he'll get, get there. there. Yeah. yeah. So let's move to uh, Madeline Madden, who plays Egwene Elvira. Yeah. Okay. So Egwene, I like her a lot. Actually, I'm I'm a big fan of her portrayal. Um. She has had some some moments where she's gotten to really, uh, uh, in fact, some of the early stuff in these early episodes with her, I think, is some of the best. There's definitely some changes going on here. Her, her, and um, her and Rand have a sex scene, but they don't show a lot. But like mm-hmm. they, the, the implication is they have sex, which big change from the books. Yeah, I think they've wanted to make it adult. That was another thing is like oh, aging it up, making you, it. Adult. You could feel the Game of Thrones look like breathing bit. down their throat it a little bit. It wasn't as as sort of. Um, explicit as no, a game of thrones scene, no but. they they weren't like going for the tits and dragons crowd right but they wanted i think a little bit of that yeah and um they're leaving the door open know, they're leaving the door open for it um the place where you can really feel that by the way is the violence i'm not i'm not on board yet with the way the violence is being handled um because sure there's lots of violence in those books entrails spilling out and steaming and like just like a lot of gore mm-hmm. and it's also like they, i feel like they tend to do cgi gore um so it doesn't always look as great and then also it's like hyper bloody mm-hmm. in a show that doesn't feel like it should be whereas game of thrones to me earned its hyper violence yeah that's another uh, and, i think that's another area it could grow into though yeah know, kind of nail down where they want to land and with this kind that of stuff. might be some leftovers of how the first book is is almost a ya we talked about it mm-hmm. and then like of course it changes over time with the series grows but like the the leftover ya-ness of the plot doesn't line up with how gory it gets at times mm-hmm. you know and like when the when the trollocs attack there's some fucking brutal stuff happening to these villagers yeah and if you if you just watch the show cold, you don't know anything like it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And it might completely turn people off, too, because it doesn't the show doesn't telegraph that it's going to be like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I don't know. You know, it, it, is, it doesn't feel that adult. 
Right. Whereas Game of Thrones feels that adult from the jump. Yeah. So I, I liked Egwene and I'm excited to see her get more to do yeah. because I do think she has the chops, but we haven't seen a ton of her yeah. character so yeah. far. But And that's going to be the case with a lot of the people we're going to talk about. Um, so maybe we don't talk about every single person because <laughs> yeah. well, some the, of them have a couple of main people we need to talk about. Like, yeah, we, we should absolutely. talk about Marcus Rutherford as Perrin Ibarra. Yeah. Um, and this, this is probably the character that it's changed for me the most in my mind. Yeah. And maybe it's because I haven't gotten, you, you mentioned in the last episode, like, did I feel that Perrin... And Rand were too similar. And maybe like as time goes on, he's more like this. But I felt like Perrin's sort of, he seemed way less capable than I was expecting in the show so far up to this point. And there was a very obvious change that, that we're going to get to. But how did you feel about just like his demeanor yeah. in general? I think the guys, uh, I think Marcus Rutherford is doing a good job. And I can see that like there's an arc that's that's mounting here. Yeah. But so far I haven't been in, in love with it. Okay, so let's get the elephant out of the room. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, they cast a black man to play Perrin. He's oh, not. That's not the change that I was talking I, about. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. I just want to like acknowledge yeah. that. Yeah. I don't think that is at all have anything to do with what we're going to talk about. Right. Um, I think he is fully capable of playing Perrin. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about the way the character is being written. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, they the way that they are writing this character um, is is very different. Um, I think they're trying to lean into a later a later challenge, a later arc that Perrin really struggles with. And they're trying to bring it to the fore with a big change. I, I think we just talked about here. We're in, we're in episode one. So in, in, during the Trolloc attack, he accidentally kills his wife. You mentioned it in the, plot, in, in, have, in the summary, right? And he didn't have in the book, wasn't married in the book. Didn't accidentally kill his wife in the book. Cause he wasn't married. Didn't accidentally kill anyone. Uh, as far as I know, <laughs> during that first, uh, which is a big change, like having that already in built into the character is a massive. Change. That is the biggest moment of just pulling away from the show that I had, and I went, "Oh, I don't know about this." I was because really it's worried. also a really textbook example of fridging a character. Right. Well, not to mention, like when she was introduced, when his wife was introduced, I said out loud, "She's going to be killed." For motivation reasons. I thought that and yeah. I thought I hope to God. I was like, well, if you're introducing a wife for Perrin, I hope you do something interesting with her. There are characters later that this could kind of be. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe they were bringing that character way up to the beginning of the series. And I'm like, OK, maybe they're going to do something really different here. But man, I, I and then I think I was like in the back of my head. I'm like, what if what if she dies here right. in a minute? Sure I, I kind of felt like it was coming. Honestly. Okay, so if you're if you're not familiar, we talk about fridging as if this is a term everybody knows, but not everybody does. Right. So fridging refers to a trope that was identified in like the late '90s um, by feminist writers who who looked at I think specifically Gail Simone I saw as the one who coined it. Um, but looking at examples uh, of women being either killed or raped or injured captured. or captured yep. to solely to motivate a male character to action or mm-hmm. to vengeance or to something specifically from like a green lantern issue right the the term yeah. fridging specifically comes from a green lantern issue where they introduce this like girlfriend character or something only for him to like find her dead in a fridge and like the next like panel or something mm-hmm. like it was like immediate it was like one of the biggest most egregious moments of this but then when you start realizing you start noticing in all these other pieces of media where they do this now there's a lot of like critical theory that has been written about this that we're not going to be able to get into here but i think it's pretty textbook right like you introduce a new character and clearly her sole purpose is to die here mm-hmm. um layla is her name she doesn't really interact with any other characters no because they're like eh. they mention her a few times but that's it and all she does is provide guilt for perrin right 
who goes into this these first four episodes completely just like way down with guilt like he has to be experiencing crazy ptsd mm-hmm. like it, it's it, that's like an unimaginable thing to have done mm-hmm. and to be and to be dealing with and that's a huge fucking ask for the actor to portray well not to mention the fact that like it's hard to buy him in any of the other scenes throughout the story that we've seen it to this point thinking not thinking of him having that guilt in his mind yeah so like if he's supposed to be happy in a scene where they're all together and they're you know on an adventure he can't he's not and that was the beginning of the story and now it's weird too because he like he in in like he ends up being kind of mopey a lot right understandably but like which isn't very interesting it's such a massive thing to handle like i don't know how you act that with all the other shit you got to do in these first four episodes yeah i i think it was a head scratcher I, i alluded to that one before I, I I can I can suss out what they're doing because I know Perrin's arc going forward, um, and I don't think this is a major spoiler because you can see it being built here. Right, is about violence. Right. It's about the we've the, seen it as far in the in yeah. the book. You know, we, yeah. the, the whole like will he throw the axe away? Will he? Right. Not? It's 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 in the book and it's being threaded in, but it's it's introduced gradually. Mm-hmm. They fucking throw you in the deep end and hold you under for a little while in this show. Yeah. Right. They're like, is look at him being violent? He's going to immediately regret it. Yeah. Will he be able to be violent again? Yeah. Will he want to? Um, now, I do think finally in episode four, it actually kind of goes somewhere. Yeah, I was going to say that other thing is that it wasn't addressed for a bit, which was not like addressed at all. Right? Bizarre. It's, it's this dangling thread. I think it was a bad choice. I, I can kind of understand how someone suggested this, how it got okayed, how it got to the point of like, let's do it. But somebody at some point needed to step in and say, hey, guys. They're always this gonna, is actually a bad idea. They're just going to lean on the fact that they were trying to condense things and try to get to a certain point at a certain by a certain episode, and it was way too quick for for audiences. It was bad too because it's the introduction of the character. We don't know Perrin yet. We don't know him outside of the fact that he lost a wife. So our know? first introduction of the character is the man who killed his own fucking wife yeah. in a fit of rage when he's fighting a Trolloc. And the way it was like set up was not even like that convincing. Yeah. It looked it would looked weird like it looked like he like did it on purpose almost but then you can tell he didn't but yeah. just like the way it was staged wasn't like super good. I'm gonna mention this here because it's later in another episode but when he has the dream and she's like fucking there like talking like talking to him basically being haunted by yeah. Baalzaman or something potentially later uh, you're just like oh god this is fucking this is not like just to have that on the character going forward just yeah. it just feels like a different character it's tough and um my wife and i turned to each other and like i think we paused it and we had to like stop and go like i can't believe that just happened talk about it a little bit um she knows i've told you parents maybe my favorite character in the entire series right and so this was a rough one for me this was like me going oh i don't know about this show anymore i agree i mean Um, it was it was so it was such a big departure so early on yeah if it had and been episode two or three, I think it would even have been less surprising, but it was yeah. just too much. Too I quick. think there's going to be a lot of ground that's going to be need to be made up, and there's going to be a lot of work that's going to need to happen for the character to bring him back to a semblance of the character that we all love from the series. Yeah, um, because they have they have pushed him so far astray yeah. now, and it's unfortunate too because like Marcus Rutherford, like I think he's doing a good job. With exactly. what he's been given. He, and this like is, he's he's it, fighting an uphill battle. It's the right writing of the character. It is yeah. not his fault at all. I think he's doing okay. It's an impossible thing to ask him to portray. I don't know, man. That's really tough. And yeah. we're talking about throwing someone in a deep end too with the acting, right? Like yeah. that's a huge challenge. Right. Uh, but we got to move on. But there's a lot of other mains that we do need to talk about here. Um, Matt, we got to talk about Matt. Coppola, okay. Yeah. Let's talk Barney. about Matt. I think he's great. He's one mm-hmm. of my favorites in the show. Yep. 
I am really sad because I've heard that he is not going to be in season two. I was wondering if you heard that. Yeah, I did. Pretty big bummer. I think that he's been the like great comedic relief. I think he's yeah. fit that archetype. And I actually think that even when he's doing the evil shit along the way with the with the knight with the dagger, I think I'm still seeing Matt more than I felt like I was in the book because I feel like he he's so drastically different. Because remember I mentioned like I really liked Matt at first. I felt like he was relatable, and then he became like just possessed and evil and weird and like not not in any way believable to me as a character he's I don't just know if evil's to, the right word he's trying to kill farmers and shit like they walk up and he's like oh i'm gonna lunge at him yeah like, he, yeah yeah a little bit possessed i think right. that's a good term and he's definitely like he's struggling he's losing himself right. to the dagger yeah um but even before that episode one they had this thing where he stole from one of the fellow villagers mm-hmm. and he sells it to pat and fang mm-hmm. who gets introduced which by the way i thought he looked i thought he was great yeah but we only seen a little bit of him but um He's he sells this trinket, but then he takes it and he's like being really nice to his sisters. Yep. And you can tell he's protecting them from like maybe neglectful slash abusive parents, which is a change in a, in a weird one. But but I guess they just wanted to give him motivation in a way. And give I actually think I think all this works for him yeah. because you're establishing him as a, a character who is not your like virtuous up and up guy. He's a Robin Hood type figure. I mean, steal. but he's not stealing from the rich. He just yeah. steals from somebody. I guess that's true. Steal from anyone. Yeah, he's yeah. he's a guy who's like. You don't know about his methods, mm-hmm. but but ultimately it seems like his heart's in the right place, right? Or like if he if he has loyalty to you, he's gonna he's gonna care and like he cares about his sisters and but maybe yeah, maybe he's got some some trouble like ahead of him as he's gonna have to learn like yeah. the potential pitfalls of his actions. Yeah. So I think that's all interesting. I think that, that that's those are kind of changes I can get behind. And I think the performance is excellent. Maybe my favorite, definitely one of my favorite. Yeah, speaking of one of my favorites, Zoe Robbins is Nynaeve Almera. She, um, the first episode, she didn't have a ton to do, but by the end, she's probably my favorite of the group. And I think it's because she's had the most to showcase so far. She's yeah. been able to show a lot of range, had some cool moments. Um, and I love the relationship with Lan that we've already started to see develop that I yeah. picked up on. Um, what yeah, you, we talked about it a little bit in the book too. Yeah, yeah sorry. I caught some yeah. hints, but this is obviously they, a they lean into a little more here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think she's great. You know, I agree. It's, she's different. She's different kind of person, different kind of character. But there are certain essential things to Nynaeve that she nails. There's a feistiness and a, a stubbornness and a capability. All of these things, a distrust mm-hmm. of anything outside Two Rivers. Yep. She's like one of the most stubborn Two Rivers first kind of people. And um, I think she's bringing all that to the role and uh, with with not a lot of screen time, at least early on. And yeah, I think she's great. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Lan. Let's talk about him again. Daniel Henney. Um, yeah. Fucking killing it, in my opinion. Totally okay. awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think he's good. I, I, um, I, I struggle a bit with him because this is a character who's very different than the Lan I imagined. Okay. Um, however... I do like what he's doing with him. Mm-hmm. And the longer the it has progressed, the more I like it. Yeah. And the more I can see where they're going and I can, and I can see I can see what he's doing. I feel like this is a choice the actor, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like a choice the actor is bringing to the character to play him in a slightly different way. And at, at first it jarred a little bit with me, but then like it, I I felt like okay I can see what he's doing here, and I'm growing into it, and I'm liking it. Interesting. Um, so I, I felt like for me it was I, I didn't I, I didn't have an adjustment period really for yeah. for Lan. What, what, what could you put your finger on it? It's interesting. It's um it's subtle stuff because everything with Lan is subtle mm-hmm. for the most part. Like he's a very he doesn't say a lot. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do like he he tends to do stuff kind of at the edge, but um Lan is a very gruff. Um, sort of uh, uh, no nonsense. 
the way he interacts with the with the with the farm boys, mm-hmm. which is what he ca- calls them a lot. The way he interacts with Moraine, he has like this real steel to him, and he he's this he's like truly this like badass who is tied to Moraine, and um, it's so weird to see a character as capable and efficient and deadly around her. Um, it makes them just such a formidable pair. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, he felt a lot more like I'm like naive. To me, it felt more like he was being portrayed as a, almost a servant to to Moraine, as that trained lapdog that she said, "I I thought that's what you were." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the show kind of leans into that early on, and then we, along with Nynaeve, see him see that there is more to him than that. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I felt like there was always more to him to that in the books, and uh, I think that that may have some of that some of that may have been a deliberate choice. They wanted us to feel like Nynaeve mm-hmm. and sort of realize it as she did. So again, that's a character I've gone on a journey with a little bit, but. Um, I think he's starting to come into his own. We also haven't, I mean, we've seen him kill some shit, but like, I feel like we haven't seen like a lot of true badassery out of him yet. What it is, is we haven't seen him on his own doing badass stuff. We've seen him doing badass stuff with Moraine in the background and that sort of thing. He's just like fighting off some Trollocs while she's doing like big magic. He's going to have big moments just for himself. Yeah. Like I want to see this guy draw down on somebody and do something really cool. We didn't get to see him just like go off a a fade like we did in the book, right? Like he's already killed a fade up to this point, took him down single-handedly basically. Yeah. Um, So that'll be cool. We talked about Moraine. Rosamund Pike is Moraine, and I think yeah. that she is kind of the keystone of this whole structure yeah. so far. Uh, mixed at first, and again, really? much like Lan, I think I'm growing to like her a lot more and more in this role. At mm-hmm. first, I felt like, I think this might be some of the book problems fucking with me, because it just didn't feel like she was Moraine. Okay. And I had to get over the difference. It's interesting, because I think part of maybe the reason that I haven't that I haven't been with her for that long. It's only been a few a few weeks. Yeah. I'm easier to pick up like the performance and, and kind of like mix the two in my mind. Yeah. I don't know. I'm getting there. I'm yeah. getting there. Um, if for whatever reason, like this is, it's a character that I, you know, I hold near and dear to my heart and it's, yeah. it's hard for me to like see her as Moraine at first, but then it's like, I don't know. There's certain people, you know, you see him in a role and you're just like, yeah, that's them. Like think about like fucking Gandalf, right? right. Like Ian McKellen is Gandalf. You're like, that's, right. well, that's Gandalf. Right. Like, you know, so it, it, I didn't have that when okay. I saw her sh- first showing I, up. I just feel like she has a power and a presence on screen that I, no, that's I for think sure. that she, I, for me, like I was like, she's Moiraine. Like yeah. I, I maybe honestly, part of it could have been that I'd seen the trailer, seen her as Moiraine and had been imagining her as Moiraine yeah. the whole time. Again, I've started, I, I guess that first opening battle it wasn't enough for me to like to sell me on her as Moraine. It really took, I think, like episode four and what happened there where I was like, OK, I think I'm really starting to feel her as Moraine now. Cool. So we'll get there. Uh, Tam, when he's oh, yeah. stabbed by a Trolloc, I, I, you know, I guess we should mention. Roos Bolton. Roos Bolton. Yeah. He, uh, he's uh, not quite the Roos Bolton we know. He's instead this lovable Tam Althor. <laughs> yeah, Michael Mickelhaden. Uh, he uh, is Roos yeah, Bolton is pretty yeah. ruthless and brutal. Oh, yeah. And I, I bought him very quickly as Tam, and I thought I he was like a, Tam. a fun, this warm is a, farmer. This is a veteran actor yeah. bringing it. Character. And like I, I feel like we get some of that later, too, and maybe that was part of the issue a little bit with this early, is you have a lot of like young fairly new actors and of course like uh even as rosamund pike when i'm talking about maybe me buying her as moraine there's nothing to be said about her quality of acting is very high Mm -hmm. and there's like that that's the thing you've got like a few veteran actors who really know what they're doing Mm -hmm. and uh who sort of carry the performance from a performance angle 
And I think he, yeah, he's one of those, like, he's got no, he can play this kind of role in his sleep. He's yeah, got this down. Totally nailing it. Yep. Um, I was bummed that when he was stabbed by the Trolloc, we didn't get hallucinations of, <laughs> of his, like, interesting uh, yeah. identity and that sort of thing. Well, that would be a spoiler for show watchers only, so let's not lean around it too long. Right. But, yeah, there is some stuff like that in the book. There's some some more lore backstory sort of, yeah. like, uh, stuff to, to sort of roll around in your mind. Yeah. And also, Tom isn't introduced in this first episode. He's not. We'll yeah. have to get to him later when he is introduced. And I think it's I think it's because there's a lot of fucking characters that yeah. people are being introduced. And to. I do just want to say, in general, the cast, I love how diverse they made it. Oh, yes. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to do it. And, um, it, you know, I guess you don't have to. You, to sh- me, shows don't. But w- yeah. I'm so glad they did. I think the show needs it. Right. There was no sort of uh, trepidation for me at all. Like, it started and it felt so natural to me and I just went yeah. along with it. I loved it. Yeah. So one other thing that is immediately introduced is a big change. Uh, the dragon reborn mm-hmm. could be a girl or a boy. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you know, surprising, but didn't, you know, didn't bother me. I was like, okay, cool. Good change. Yeah. yeah. Good change. Um, and again, they might change stuff. I, like, we don't know. Yeah. So it generally could be a girl or a boy in the show. Can you I imagine? don't know. That would be wild. right? I don't know. Change the stuff. I mean, who knows? Yeah, who knows we'll what they're going to do? Um, you know. That will be a big change, but what if what if the whole group is the dragon reborn? Exactly, know? they like, could they yeah. they could do yeah. Could there be more than one? Like yeah. who knows? Um, yeah, it could be really interesting. And and again, I haven't finished the series, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, also my wife wanted me to point out this is this was a must mention. She's very disappointed that the Aes Sedai don't have the colored shawls that is described multiple times in the books that evoke their jaw. And instead they seem to dress all in a color, mm-hmm. which to me is a, maybe a bit much, especially that, when there's, like, especially when you can be identified and killed for being an exactly, ace to die. That's what I was it's like, thinking. maybe don't dress all in blue and all in green and all in red. If you don't want to be fucking spotted on the road that's by a white cloak. thinking. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty clear who the ice. Are, <laughs> yeah. You know? That person in head to toe one color. Yeah. Yeah. They don't do that in the book. Right. <laughs> so, uh, we got to jump into episode two. It's yeah. called Shadows Waiting. In a white cloak encampment, an Aes Sedai is burned at the stake. The two rivers villagers flee with Moiraine and Lan from pursuing Trollocs and a fade. They flee across a river using Terran's ferry. To prevent the Trollocs from following, Moiraine uses the one power to sink the ferry, killing the ferryman, which disturbs the villagers. Along their journey to Tarvalon, Egwene learns she has the potential to channel. Perrin encounters wolves. The villagers have disturbing dreams about the Dark One bails them on. Mistrust and tension between Moraine and the villagers grow. Moraine grows wearier and exhausted from her injury when Trollocs catch up. Lan makes the hasty decision to have them enter Shadar Lagoth to escape. While in Shadar Lagoth, the group is attacked and separated by Mashadar the twisted evil that inhabits the city. The group is separated and disoriented. Nynaeve is revealed to be alive and confronts Lan about the villagers. No more death. No more death. No more death. Uh, yeah. Sounded like you were saying no more death. No like more zero death. Zero death. Uh, we talk about them in our last episode, if you're curious who that is. Um, yeah, man. Okay, so some interesting stuff here. White cloaks, I like the look. I like the the vibe. I think they nail it, right? Like, these guys are wrapped in the, uh, <laughs> yeah, wrapped in the cloak of righteousness, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're like, we're doing the right thing. We fight for good, and mm-hmm. we're gonna do it by killing dark friends, and uh, all Asadai are dark friends, and we kill all of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and in much like burning witches at the stake, right? Like anything you do, if you know, if you if you perce- if you start out knowing you're right going in then the, you, there's no remorse mm-hmm. and you just are going to come in and do what you got to do. Right. And, uh, or what you think you got to do. And, uh, I think that makes them frightening. 
They've always been a very interesting group within the Wheel of Time lore. And uh, I liked seeing them here. I feel like they're kind of they're bringing them into the story early and starting to set them up as a potential looming threat. Um, and I think it's smart because I have come to appreciate how stories that only have supernatural threats can start to get stale pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And what you need is you need some humans. <laughs> right. You need some recognizable threats. And, uh, and to me, that just makes it more interesting and more layered. Right. Like you have people who are just making mistakes mm-hmm. and are just wrongheaded. And that's the white cloaks to a T. Right. Like they think they've got something figured out and they're going to fucking live and die by it. And, you know, that they don't, you know, that they're yeah. they're actually like doing the dark ones bidding without even realizing it. Yeah. And, and yet they're dressed all in white and pretending like they're agents of light and all this shit. And anyway, I, I love all that. And I'm glad they brought it here. Um the it, look, yeah. I, I agree. The look is good. I, I think the the way that they like wrap layers and and like robes and, yeah. and there's like some sort of armor yeah, and armor, stuff. Yeah. And like I, I think it looks good and it differentiates it from like sort of knights and that sort of. Uh, it looks good. And they differentiate between questioners and like yeah. the soldiers, which yeah. is something that like you don't learn about a lot until later in the books. Yeah. But like here, we're already setting they that. Definitely up. don't have a scene where they seem bumbling like they did in the book. So yeah. like right away, you can see them as a threat. We we were basically introduced to them burning and Aes Sedai, and yeah. it's pretty fucking brutal um i also yep. want to say that basically right after that in the episode we get the intro for the first time and yep. it's really cool it's got like this weaving you know you we were talking about like how they're like, yeah. the weaving of this of this of the uh channeling yeah and uh you know part of me was thinking like you know it gives good scale you see this like tapestry forming and all these ma- the main characters are like becoming myths in this tapestry it looks like they're like we got holy like light around them and stuff and i, I thought that was so cool you know it's a kind of ice die as well it's mm. uh, you know i guess you can't specifically say who is who but it kind of looks like some of the characters that we know um and uh it also feels like a game of thrones type intro mixed with a west world of yeah. things going together and but it's good know, i like it yeah, yeah yeah it does the job does the good, trick good I score agree. too good good music and yeah, i think the show overall has it. a good score i, I actually like feels like a feature film score like it, it's got like a lot of depth to it and it's very it you gotta feel, nail this you gotta nail the score it in a fantasy series, yeah it doesn't right? feel cookie cutter it feels no, like its yeah. own thing you could recognize it just from just from the sound yeah i agree uh one scene that stands out from this episode that i really like is them talking about manetherin and the song the song yeah, yeah. um this was I, I read somewhere that this was a this was a scene that uh ref judkins or somebody had to fight to keep in the show right like people wanted to cut right and he felt it was really important. It's important. Yeah. And it's important to establish two rivers lore and to establish the thing that unites a lot of these characters. Like the idea of deep roots mm-hmm. and like leaning on the strength of your forefathers and stuff like that. Like that's a big thing in the books. Mm-hmm. And obviously the cyclical nature uh, of, of the wheel, um, which, by the way, there's also a cool scene with like the, the lights burning in the river and um, Tam gives like a really cool speech about people being reborn, um, yeah. and like I thought that was a cool like tying the wheel idea to like religion in this yeah. world in a way that um, it we don't necessarily get a lot of in the book early on, mm-hmm. um, but I thought it brought it to the fore. So that's all good, leaning into the wheel metaphors, um, and then yeah, this this song, this this scene where they talk about what Manetherin is, um, I think that's going to pay dividends later when yeah. you're trying to lean on this lore because it becomes more important. Um, you will have had it. You will have established it in a way that if you cut this scene, you you cut out the foundation. Now these uh, the, a lot of stuff gets cut out here from the books, but one of the things we do get is this fairy moment. However, they change it. 
They have Moraine kill the fairy man. Yeah, it feels like a, you know, it's cold-blooded <sighs> but Moraine. It, it was also weird. Like, he swam back out to it for no fucking reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was yeah. a strange thing. In the book, she just sinks the fairy. He's not on it. It's kind of giving us that scene where Nynaeve sees them, and she's like, I'd rather them die than them get in the hands of the Dark One. And I yeah. guess she's like, you're seeing that Moraine is like a means to an end person. And like, Yeah, but she like, says something completely different later in she, the show. She does, yeah. But it's yeah. like, I don't know. It, it definitely gives you that feeling where like the villagers don't trust her. So that's yeah. what I guess they were trying to get across. Well, they are trying to like blur the lines a little bit of the Ace to Die. Like, mm-hmm. not necessarily... Someone like yeah, good guys through and through, mm-hmm. totally. And I get, so I get why they did it. It just I don't know, a little yeah. weird. So we get to uh, Shadar Lagoth. Yeah, Shadar Lagoth. I thought it looked pretty good. Is this big city, big empty city? I like the the lore and them talking about the 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 um, Trollocs and stuff. How they won't come in the city and and all this stuff. I thought that was pretty good. Um, and then yeah, you get you get Matt finding the dagger. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, I actually, I do want to say, I love how the the city looked. Like it looked exactly how I was imagining. I love how they lit it. Um, There were some good shots of just like them sort of taking it in. Yeah. Um, It's a big thing for episode two. mm -hmm. And it's like the next big location we get really after two rivers. Mm -hmm. It's a very fantasy thing. Right. Whereas in the book, we get another town Mm -hmm. that they go to for a while and they stay at an inn. Um, so I don't know. It's just interesting. That's one of those things that when you do some changes and some shuffling around and you, you omit a certain chunk of a story, now all of a sudden you're landing at this ruin as your next big setting. Uh, it's a big ask, I right. think, for people. Going but straight I, in, I think yeah. it mostly works. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the, the big black creeping shit, like that's also a big ask. That's a lot of weird fantasiness. Yeah. And I've always felt like, it, like it's kind of a lot to throw at you and expect you to just go, okay, there's a weird creeping death that mm. just kills stuff and eats a horse. Yeah. And it's unexplained, really. It's just an evil. Right. Yeah. Um, I, it, it, you get a character in more death a little bit in mm-hmm. the in the book, but you don't get any of that here. It's just yeah. uh, just evil. I did think that it sort of worked for the modern audience watching the show. If we had some like shadowy figure luring Matt away, it's more yeah, like... Yeah, I'm not saying no more death necessarily would work in the right. show. <laughs> but I thought it worked like him sort of like on his own going around. If you find a, a dagger in the ruins, like yeah. you don't know any better, you're going to take it. Right. You know, and, and then of course he release, releases this... Uh, Mashadar, I think it was called something like that. Um, yeah, and then and then that splits the party, um, which in the book I think is a good moment, and here I think is a good moment because it leads to some of our best stuff in episode three and four. Um, you split these people up, you give them moments to shine on their own, and uh, yeah, I'm I I was ex- I was happy that that happened. I think it's an okay episode, maybe slightly better than episode one, but still. I think you got to watch episode three and four really before you're going to get a real feel for what this show is good at and what it can do. Yeah. Uh, one thing I <coughs> did, did kind of miss with this is uh, in Shadar Lagoth, when, when the boys like return from the Mordeth thing, and then that's when Lan and Moraine are like, what have you done? And all of this other stuff, like sort of, they, they, we didn't get that because they split up immediately. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't feel like they were with Lan and Moraine very long. You yeah. know, it's very, very quick. There's it not a lot of interactions. Fast. All right. Well, episode three is called A Place of Safety. The two rivers villagers are separated from Moraine and each other, with Matt and Rand trekking across the wilderness in one direction, and Egwene and Perrin in another. Lan and an injured Moraine are confronted by an angry Nynaeve, demanding to know the location of the villagers. A flashback shows Nynaeve escaping, outsmarting, and killing the Trolloc that captured her. Wolves follow Egwene and Perrin, and Perrin has a nightmare about the wolves and a mysterious fiery-eyed figure. They find safety and rest with Tuatha'an, or Tinkers, 
a peaceful nomadic group. Matt and Rand argue about whether to go home or to the White Tower, with Matt showing darker tendencies that Rand dislikes. They encounter a gleeman, Tom Marilyn, in a village where he steals their gold. Later, Tom rescues them from a dark friend. Nynaeve and Lan argue about the villagers and whether Nynaeve should heal Moraine. Eventually, Nynaeve concedes, using herbs to help the Aes Sedai while Lan scouts. Moraine recovers enough to travel and they encounter red sisters on the road, including Leandrin, who have captured the self-reclaimed dragon reborn, Loghain Ablar, a man who can channel the one power. Yeah, man, I want to jump right to it. Tom Marilyn introduced in this episode. Yeah. I got chills. Like, yeah. I, 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 my wife and I turned to each other. I, we were sitting on the couch, so you probably saw us. And we were just, like, giving each other eyes. <laughs> like, it was like, yeah. And, you know, he's a character that I love. You mentioned how you really liked him early oh, on. Yeah. And then I think this is a great Tom. I yeah. think this guy, this is, again, an example of a, of a guy who knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know who this guy is, is, but he seems like someone who knows what he's doing and, and must have been in some stuff. Because he's nailing this role, in my opinion. And sure, maybe he's a little younger and sexier than I was imagining Tom in the book. Um, he doesn't have the big mustache like he does in the book. But, yeah. like, I think he's great. Yeah, he's really good. So, less lighthearted than I was expecting. Yeah, but he has a very serious right. introduction. But I'm into it. It's cool. Like yeah. you said, sexy. Like, he's he's just putting off he's that intense, vibe. Yeah, yeah. He's intense, uh, Alexander William. Okay is Tom Marilyn. Yeah, and he's yeah, good, he's, man. he's doing a great job so far. I've really I love the way that they interact originally. Right. The, the the like random guy steals from Matt, then Tom steals back from that random guy to hold it over Matt's head and then yeah. keep the gold and just like fun like sort of antics uh, like that. Man, you get that scene later with him and Matt in front of the dead Aylman. Um yeah. and this is like two of my favorite performances so far coming together like performers coming to, together and yeah. I thought that was great chemistry. Uh, the, the, you know, him saying like, I'll turn my back. You do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Matt clearly is like torn over his wanting to, to like rob this buddy, but he does it anyway. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, you don't know how the scene's going to play out. Like I thought it was a really interesting scene. I really liked it. And, um, both of them are behaving in ways that are unexpected. Right. And it's just working. And again, he's this, he's this kind of a mentor character. He becomes it. Um, unfortunately it's, it's not, doesn't last very long. It's way too quick. Everything happens yeah. fast in this show. Um, so, Mar- uh, you know, Tom's introduced and then summarily uh, left fighting a fade on his own. And who knows what happens to him. In a, in a badass moment, which we'll get to. Cool moment. Uh, I want to talk about the AAU because, you know, the significance was sort of more clear to me than it was in the book. I think it probably would be for other people as well. Yeah. Um, it's like uh, there's a red hair sort of thing that they're like, oh, how about this red hair? Wink, wink. Like situation. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Did make a note of that yeah. hair, didn't they? Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, that's something that I definitely picked up on that I didn't quite put together in the book. So it's a cool detail that I'm looking forward to getting more yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean. Uh, you know, I think in the book they just talk about how tall they are. Right. I don't know if we get the hair color thing, but maybe yeah. we do offhandedly, but it's. I didn't catch it if so. We, yeah. it's, just hearing something's different than seeing it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I thought they were cool design. They had even this like skeletal man and the, the, the well, Talking about veil. the veil, that's very important. Black veiled ailment. Yeah, that's so, cool. It's a, it's a big thing. I'm yeah. into it. I think it's cool, and and like I'm looking forward to seeing more about that that people. Oh and, man, he drops a great line earlier in the episode too. Yeah. Um, they're they're like talking about uh where they're going, and Rand says they say all roads lead, lead to, to Tar- Tarvalon, and yeah. he's like, that's not how roads work. Yeah, that's good. Good Matt comedy. Like I'm happy <laughs> to see that that stuff because that fits the character so much. So good, man. That got a that. laugh out loud moment for me for sure. Which I, I you need to see that again. He does have a little bit of that comic relief without being like a goofball. Right. He's not. 
he just is clever. He's got some clever lines. Mm-hmm. And then he does some shit where you're like, I don't know about Matt. This is perfect. This right. is what you want for Matt. Yeah. So I think he's nailing it. And I think the character is one of my one of the highlights of the show so far for me. Um, let's talk about the Tinkers, yeah. right? This is a big part that we had just read in the book. Um, it does, unfortunately, we skip over the introduction of a certain character from the book. Oh, not yeah. here. Yep. Not present. Uh, bummed, hoping that that character shows up. But honestly, think that they might not. He might not. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he hits the cutting room floor. Ugh. Um, maybe they bring him in later because, yeah. you know, if, if he ends up needing to be more front and center, I could see them bringing him in later. I was one but of I my think early parts. on they were like, this maybe is too many. That one, that was one of my favorite parts, uh, in the, in the, this, this section of the book where yeah. we're getting this interaction with this character and the connection to the wolves and sort of explaining yeah. some of that. Uh, it's very clear that the parent relationship with the wolves is different, but yeah. they're, you know leaning into it a little bit i don't know they're, how they're internal, holding off on it it seems like how they're, internal are we gonna get are we gonna yeah. get wolves voices or are we gonna have voice actors for wolves or not i don't know i, I hope so dude you think you i kind of fucking hope so yeah it's part of the it's part of the story even yeah. if it's not moving its mouth obviously just in his head i kind of don't think we will yeah but we might i think we need something it may be hard like, to do and pull off but they might yeah. do it they might yeah. go for it um, it may be more like him saying like what he he might be explaining to somebody what he what he interprets or something yeah. we'll see um, but yeah, we get introduced to introduced to the Tinkers and Ar- Aram. Aram, um, I think this guy's great. I think he he looks the part. I think he's like you know he's that really attractive, dashing guy who clearly him and Egwene have some chemistry early mm-hmm. on, which I think is important. Um, and he does a good job sort of explaining uh, the 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 Tinkers and the way of the leaf, which I like that that was that was not you know like omitted. They weren't just made. You know, it, I think you make the Tinkers fundamentally honestly what what they are different if you don't have the way of the leaf and you don't bring that to the center front and center and you talk about how they're they're pacifists mm-hmm. and of course that interacts with Perrin and this is the first time that we see some dividends from what happened in episode one mm-hmm. that's kind of a long time to go with, before we really get a feel for like Perrin actually having to grapple with what he's done I do like that they like keyed in immediately on do you know the song yeah. And like that, because it's very important to them. How do you feel about that, by the way? We didn't really talk about that a lot. It's the idea cool. of this lost song that they're in search and of. And it brings peace. Well, this is the first time. Like, we didn't yeah. we didn't get an explanation, really, right. of the song, I think, in the they book They talked about the song, but they did, we didn't get, like you said, yeah. we didn't get And this the, is the something we, you learn about later. Yeah. And it, I think this is it, if I remember correctly. Yeah. This they're is giving the more, like, the of the idea of, like, the last wheel rotation. This happened and this happened. Like, they're remember Some legends are carrying over in more clear lines and ways. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it's very cool. I think it's a cool idea to be seeking out something that has power, potentially. It'd be yeah. cool to see how that goes forward. It is reminding me of something else from the book episode that hasn't been addressed, really. But it was just that, and I meant to mention it in, in episode two of our book coverage, the, the there's like a a horn that's that's uh, talked about, and I just from context clues know that what the second book is called and stuff, <laughs> and like I'm like drawing, I'm like oh they're talking about events that are happening in book two, so like they're already hinting at some of like the there's like a, a hunt or something, the great hunt yeah, is that what great, it's called? The great hunt. It's being talked about, yeah. yeah. So so that was cool, and that's yeah. like sort of outside of this this show. So we'll get back to the show here. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot about the tinkers actually that happens next episode. I'm realizing, so let's save a little bit of tinker talk. Let's yeah. rev- let's go back to the. The, one of the primary things that happens here is we get Matt and Rand arriving at this tavern and they meet this woman, this uh, this bartender. Dana, I think. Dana. Yeah, and they start working for her and there's a lot of interesting interactions here, right? We got some flirtations happening. We got Matt being petulant and he doesn't want to do the sort of manual labor. Mm-hmm. So he goes in to flirt with her instead 
and we get a lot of talk about like wanting to go home versus wanting to go out and explore. And I thought that was all very good, very mm-hmm. interesting. And then we get the reveal that she's a dark friend. Yeah, a little unexpected. You know, as as time went on and she was hanging out with Rand in the room, it started to be clear, obviously. Yeah. But unexpected You know, at you first. know what this is? Yeah. <laughs> it's the economy of characters, right? right. Like, because, like, this is all... I feel like this was all great stuff. I kind of would have preferred these were kind of two different characters. Yeah. Because it kind of undercuts a lot of the stuff that she had, the interaction she had. But it's okay. She kind of played it, it off. It works okay. Yeah, and she... you get that you get that revealed. Someone's a secret dark friend and they've been lying all along. I think that's important. You mm-hmm. want to establish that as a possibility mm-hmm. going forward. Well, and also she like plays it off as like, I'm really s- sorry. You seem really nice. She seemed genuine in saying yeah. you seem really nice. We had a good connection. But I, but actually I am a secretly dark friend. Circus, uh, <laughs> the, the dark lord. lord yeah. I want to be the, you know, the person who delivered the dragon, yeah. you know, and all that shit. Yeah. So, you know, conflicted, yeah. still a conflicted character, I guess, you know, in a sense, but ultimately her, her ideals are what yeah. she sticks by. It, it, to me, it feels like this needed to be two characters, but for yeah. the economy of TV, they made it one. Yeah. Which is okay. Yeah. And Tom straight up fucking murders her ass. Hell yeah, he does. He fucking knifes her in the back, of the, the back of the neck. It's pretty brutal. Uh, and Tom fucking <laughs> capable of anything, you know? Just like throws those knives. Yeah. I did see something cool in the behind the scenes of this episode too. And that's, it was specifically about, uh, Nynaeve running from the Trollocs and fighting at the, at the beginning of the episode. Uh-huh. And there was, they've made these really cool camera rigs for, for the shoot. She's sort of running and there's like a camera on a zip line, basically a remote controlled zip line where they can send it really fast across. And they were talking about like, they were so blown away because Zoe Robbins is like such an athlete. She was running like faster than anybody could possibly yeah, imagine. Wow. Yeah. And so they had this like this. They had another one that was like a camera cart where they were like basically, you know, a four wheeler go kart kind of thing with a camera on it. And she was like outrunning the cart and stuff. And they were all like, <laughs> can't, couldn't believe it. And just like how much intensity she was bringing to that. And now, honestly, when you see that, when she's running straight towards camera with like the Trolloc in the background. Uh, oh, yeah. That shot, like she brings up an intensity to well, that. Well, and, and we, we kind of glossed over that scene, but like she goes to the caves and yeah. the Trolloc comes in after her. And that was like the best looking Trolloc. It was like a showcase Trolloc. Yep. It was huge. It was fucking big. Real big. And then it, it, it's when it's coming after her, that thing's scary. Yeah. And then she gets up on there and stabs it. Like, I thought that was awesome. Um, the blood comes out into this um, shape that then takes the form of mountains, I think, or Great something. Great transition, so it's kind yeah. Of a tr- Matching cool transition. transition, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. They, they've done a little bit of stuff with, like, blood and water and stuff. Wait a minute. No, that isn't even the one. Yeah, this is... I'm confusing it with the other one. That mm-hmm. was, I think, when the dark friend got killed mm-hmm. and her blood was in you're the water right, and transferred right. into the motion. This one was just... It turned into, like, a teardrop shape. Right. Which is important. Yeah. So, so, so they're, they're doing a lot with like blood shapes and stuff. And cool. so it's interesting, right? Yeah. Like, and that's again, why I kind of fused, confused the two things. Cause I was like twice in one episode, mm. but it was, it's a cool idea. I just don't know if you like go into the blood and water thing twice in a row. Yeah. Maybe going back to the well too much. Yeah. Maybe. But yeah, I mean, I guess it didn't mean anything to you, but yeah, it, yeah. it very clearly forms a shape though. You're probably like, what is, why is this forming? This yeah. is mean something. I could tell that for sure. I didn't know if that was something that like trollic blood did or see though, you know, like, yeah. like, <laughs> I haven't seen just, vi- visual this, representations this of some of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I do want to shout out, uh, we got a pat, the, the inside of Tom's cloak is patchwork. I don't know if you saw that just that. for a brief moment yeah. and he wh- wh- whips it closed. Love that. I was so glad. Cause like, that's such a big thing. And the Gleemans have these patchwork cloaks and they're so bright. And you have this other version of a character who's like much darker and like more serious, yet the inside, he's mm-hmm. got that. Yeah. That made me happy. Yeah. I like, that I, like a lot. I said, at least they had that in a character that I expected to be a little more gleeful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Gleeman, but yeah, he was, that's fair. I, I am enjoying it so far. 
I hope uh, we see a little more of him. Um, and j- those yeah. of you who are book readers, uh, I just wanted to point out a little Easter egg we got here. Um, I don't know. This isn't, this isn't a spoiler for you. It's just a name. Okay. But uh, Moraine, when she is, uh, she's been laid low by her wound, mm-hmm. and she's she starts mumbling, and she says something about Suin. Mm-hmm. Suin. Just want to point that out. All that right. is a. Uh, I just put it all together. Thanks a lot yeah. for the spoiler. <laughs> That's <laughs> a little bit of an Easter egg for something later. So nice. I think it's I think it's an interesting moment, and I perked up a little bit when I heard that name. So. Cool. All right, we got to move to the fourth episode, the Dragon Reborn. Yeah, and uh, at the end of this one, we see Logan for the first time, mm-hmm. which is going to be a big part of the next episode for sure. Yeah. So the Dragon Reborn, Moraine is healed by the Aes Sedai and shown an imprisoned Logan, held by the continual channeling of several Aes Sedai. Leandrin and some and some Aes Sedai want to gentle Loghain, permanently severing his connection to the One Power. However, Moraine believes he might be the Dragon Reborn. Egwene and Perrin travel with the Tinkers, heading towards Tarvalon, and Egwene learns that as part of the Way of the Leaf, they have vowed never to use violence. Rand, Matt, and Tom stay the night with a rural family. Tom tells Rand that he suspects Matt may be able to wield the One Power. His suspicious behavior resembles that of Tom's nephew, Owen, a man who could channel but killed himself after being gentled by Aes Sedai. That night, the family is killed by a fade and Tom distracts it, allowing Rand and Matt to escape. Loghain's army of followers arrives just as Loghain uses the One Power to escape his imprisonment. Kareen Nagashi of the Green Aja is killed, protecting Moraine and Leandrin from Loghain's attack, while Lan's throat is slit. Nynaeve heals Lan and the injured Aes Sedai through a stunning display of the One Power. Leandrin and the Aes Sedai gentle Loghain. Okay, so there's a lot of leaps being made here. One of them is that the family was killed by the Fade. Oh, I thought that, that was a bit of an open question. Oh, really? I thought it was kind of clear that it was meant to be like a like a fake like a out switch. Yeah, done, like yeah. a fake out. I think it is too. Yeah, but I I could see people not knowing. Okay, I think it's a bit of a cliffhanger as yeah. to like did Matt actually kill some of them? But no, it's the fade. I, I think that's obviously the fade. But mm-hmm. I don't know. He's acting creepy, right? right. Um, so you don't know like what's going on there. Um, I also uh, yeah, I, I guess I wasn't. No, no, I was sure that he got gentled at the end. That's true. I, I recognize that. Yeah, because yeah. the way it pulled it out of him. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, one. Uh, this was the best episode, I think, for me. A lot me. happened. A lot of, you know, things Things have been building to this yeah, throughout I the show was, so far. I thought it was great. Great episode. Um, and this is something that makes me really excited to continue watching the show. Um, and this is just a taste of what is what the magic in this world is can be capable of. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on seeing. This is the biggest display I think we've seen of the one power. For well, yeah. I think we have to start at the beginning specifically yeah. with, with Loghain. Yeah. And he's like sieging the city. Oh yeah. He's in Gildan or something yes. like, yeah, getting an, he, yeah, he's, he's, he's like, yeah, he's attacking the city somehow. Maybe just on his own or maybe he has men. I think he has men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, ultimately like gets to the king and the king is hiding and then he starts channeling and the channeling looks different. Yeah. And uh, there's it's like a black mist. It's whispering at him mm-hmm. and like we're seeing the madness slash maybe that's like the what's the name for the, the male uh, Sadar? Maybe Sadar like automatic. Like is it always there whispering in the ears of the of the of the men who are channeling? Anyway, it looked cool. I thought that like that yeah, that I sort like of, the of sold the look of it to me. Well, and again, it looks very different than that, like pure white mist. mist yeah. And it starts to make that choice work yeah but Again. it's interesting too because as it comes out there is a little bit of white mist but then it's also yeah. overtaken with black it looks like a little bit too so i'm just yeah. like oh cool 
uh that was crazy and then he ultimately is like about to kill this king or whatever and and or maybe he's the not about to and then that's when the voice says like he'll betray you and all this stuff and then he gets on a knee and takes this man and he's like you know join me or whatever yeah and i think it's interesting that we see him not kill like the voices are telling him to kill the guy he yep. doesn't do it oh so he's able to resist yep which i think is which is an interesting moment right? i mean to be I still haven't gotten full confirmation if this guy is a full, I mean, up to this point of the show, I think it's pretty obvious, but in the book, when I, this is the first time I'm seeing Loghain yeah. for real. And I'm like, what if he is kind of a, would you be shocked to hear that this is stuff that happens in later? <laughs> this is, this is when we're talking about stuff happening from later books. Yeah. Start. This is some of it. Here. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, I was a, story happens very rapidly in the show. You can see that it's possible. People in the, in the world are thinking it's possible. He really is the dragon reborn. And it sold me an audience member who didn't know much going in that he could potentially be kind of, you know, I'm like at the end of the day, I don't think he is, but yeah, it's, it's showed enough to where he's powerful and, and pretty much unstoppable i I should say i think like i i'm also not i am not the best at the the the, uh chronology of events Mm -hmm. of wheel of time other people may fully know this better than me my memory is that the stuff with Loghain happens a little later i could be proven long next episode when we finish out the book and who knows we'll see um but anyway there's yeah so many things i want to talk about in this episode land this is like one of the best land episodes right we get him and naive talking we get Lan actually off on his own Mm -hmm. doing, he's doing rituals. He's talking about the seven towers. He's praying. um, And she even says like, there's more to you than I thought, you know? And, and uh, I think this is a great moment. And and the chemistry between them, I think has been genuine. Um, I think there was the moment in the, in the forest, I think previous episode, maybe where they're healing Moraine Mm -hmm. and they're they're having some like heart to heart. There's, there's a real give and take about who's actually in power here. I got to talk about the scene where she like pulls the sword on him or whatever. And he's like, you, I know that you won't or whatever. And she lunges hard at him. And he's like, holy shit, you were going to fucking kill me. (laughs) He's like, oh, you're going to kill me. He's like, I'm into that though. And then I, (laughs) I do have to mention, he then does the TV knockout. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not a fucking TV show. If someone doesn't get a gentle, Bump gentle in bump in the head to yeah. transition you to a later scene right yeah but, uh he was like into the fact that she tried to kill him too i thought that was notable he yeah. was like oh you tried to kill me there was some movie where they played with that and like someone fucking died from getting hit in the head right if Has not there be. there's got to be Has this be, yeah. needs to happen I, this is someone just, i thought i just knocked him out for a minute and then they right. just fucking die that's a thing that's sure. <laughs> got to <laughs> uh yeah i really like the relationship i like land like i said I, i'm enjoying his performance i think that he's a badass and both of those characters interacting being two of the most interesting so far is just been a lot of fun and the way that like eventually uh naive comes around to actually helping moraine and then we see isodai and in my notes i'm just like isodai yeah we saw you know getting more than just like the red aja just like chasing people down and killing them getting to actually see sort of the relationship between they all kind of know each other it seems like they have a history and you know, I think it's starting to thread the thread the the idea that they all are, have different personalities based yeah. on, and they all kind of fit in different groups based on that, and they all have different goals potentially. Yeah, it seems like Leandrin seems like she just wants to to gentle anyone who's a threat. Yeah, the red yeah. the red ace to die. Uh, yeah. So and I love uh, Nynaeve has a moment where she says that woman's a snake <laughs> after she yeah. talks to her. I yeah. thought that was too, good. Too, and she's like, are they all like that at the yeah. White Tower? To 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 Lan. Yeah. I wanted to get, oh, that's something I was like dying to hear your thoughts on. 
we learn a lot more about warders here and yeah. their bonds. Oh, yeah. And the greens with their multiple, like some of them have multiple warders. Yeah. And then talking about the relationships and that one point she, like that one walks off with the two. and Right. And they're actually going to go fuck. They're going to go like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, they aren't going to. And she's, she's like, like, yeah, mm. they are. So it seems like, <laughs> some, of like them, mm. some of them can have a relationship that's like romantic as well. But well, uh, and then did you hear that when they said like it's it's deeper than any right? He's like it's deeper than a any child and a parent. Yeah. It's like deeper than anything. Yeah. And then I don't know if you noticed it, but I noticed it. There was some jealousy in them eyes. Yeah. When 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 she heard that, you know, she's yeah. like, uh, you know, that's even if it's not romantic, right. which we don't. I think it's still kind of up for debate on whether or not it is. Right. right? We well, did see like a bath scene early on in the yeah. show. I think where they it was sort of like a weirdly platonic bath scene though. Like yeah. it wasn't anything overly sexual. Yeah, they're just nude like together. That, yeah. Very obviously very comfortable, comfortable yeah. with each other. Uh, so. The other thing is that we're told specifically, and I don't even think we've gotten in this in the book, is that warders can feel whatever happens to the Aes Sedai. Yeah. And I think vice versa, potentially. Yeah. Um, oh, man, that made me laugh so hard. Well, yeah. You always get emotional when I drink. Yeah. That is a great line, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was so perfect. He's like, I shouldn't add that drink. You always get emotional when I drink. <laughs> the connection is very clear. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and then, you know, by the end of the episode, we actually see an Aes Sedai die. Yeah. And see a, a warder literally feeling that. Yeah. And, like, and what did that... what, I mean, he like fucking loses it, right? Right. Yeah. yeah goes, that guy with the two axes. Yeah. You know. Okay, okay, cool. Seems cool. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he had that cool interaction with Lan when they were sort of training together. Yeah. 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 They were, they were, that was a cool thing, man. I I think the warders are super interesting. Yeah. And I still I, don't fully understand it. Obviously, yeah. Obviously. Cool. Yeah. But they talk about the, the, um, the, the connection and Nynaeve says, you serve them. And they were like, mm, not really, right? Yeah. And and they were like, you know, Aes Sedai means like the, someone who serves or something like that. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. What something like that, right? Yeah. And um, it, it really, to me, establishes like it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of this. Like it's, it's and it's a calling. Mm-hmm. And it's not, they don't view it as being a servant. Right. Um, you know, maybe other people do, but um, to actually, it was really cool to have that interaction talking to them, not Lan, and have someone else talk about that bond. Uh, I thought it was very cool. Definitely, yeah. Love that stuff. Seen that whole group. So I want to bounce back to the Tinkers, who I had more that I wanted to say, because we and we get more of their story here. We get, learn more about the Way of the Leaf. And in particular, we had one of my favorite lines from the show. I loved it. Um, he's he. Uh, I forget the name of the character who he's speaking to, but he's speaking to this woman who's like one of the matriarchs of this this group. And she says, what greater revenge against violence than peace? And I thought it was so cool like right like right like because he he says like what happens if someone kills someone you love and that's her response and i just think that's like a that's a powerful thing to put into the world right now yeah um and it's it, it is almost like next level shit right because we're all used to the world of john wick and taken and like fucking get out there and kill them all you know and then like ultimately like Someone's going to come kill you. It's, you well, know, it's, it's also, it's, I mean, yeah, we yeah. have a lot of stories about how that leads us to lead to more violence, but also like it doesn't bring anybody back. It doesn't really fix anything. Mm-hmm. Not to saying, I, I don't know. I'm not, I, I don't know what the answer is. I'm not saying that people don't deserve justice and vengeance and stuff like that sometimes. And I think there's a fine line between the two. Um, but yeah, the idea of pacifism and peace and like, you know, the way to... The, the way to get off the, the cycle of violence is to abstain and to say, no, I'm not going to take part in it anymore. Right. And um, bringing that idea to Perrin mm-hmm. after what he's done and what he's seen is powerful. 
And I think they are finally getting to a very interesting thing that happens with Perrin over the course of several books. And they are speeding that thing way, way up fast. Yeah. <laughs> and they're getting to it quick. Um, and I'm I'm curious to see how well they're able to do it. I think they really started on the wrong foot with this character. Um, but I, we're finally at a moment where it's getting kind of interesting. And it's like they're finally doing something with this. And I hope it goes well, man. I want to like him. I want to like this character. And I want to like this performance. Um, it's just, it's. I feel like there's a long way to go to buy me back in. Yeah. Um, because still, if someone asks me, how do I feel about Perrin in the show? Still very disappointed. Yeah. This, again admittedly favorite character in the book most likely probably my favorite character and tough in the show tough in the show nothing against marcus rutherford nothing against him at all just the right not his fault yeah i uh i'm excited to see because i really we're kind of in the same spot for perrin uh in the book and in the show so i really want to know like sort of what his arc is in this story the first book specifically eye of the world and what's covered for him what he you know he's attaining these wolf-like powers i want to see how that looks in the show going forward as well yeah oh uh, how they're able to handle that but we got to talk about the end here yeah it's a big moment right yeah, yeah. so you get uh the army of the dragon re- this this false dragon Logan, arrives at the camp and is attacking and we did get a badass statement mm-hmm. of not even an army can can stand against seven full Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, that's some shit from the books. Like, yeah. that's like, okay, we're about to see some earth-moving power out there. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. I don't know if I quite bought that not even an army can stand against them. We probably only saw about 100 people at any given time. Right. That's not an army. That's right. like a, maybe a battalion or something. I don't know. It's a season um, one budget fight. You know, it was a season one budget fight. But, and that was when I wrote down, like, if they want to do this series justice going forward, they're going to have to open up their wallets yeah. because we're going to need more and we're going to need bigger. Yeah. And I think they set they set a low bar here. Exactly. And they're like, this is the bar now. Right. And we're going to go above this. We can go above this. Even this season, yeah. you'll see more than this. And know? like, I got a little bit of a yeah. chill when she said that, like, not even an army can stand against full yeah. seven, full seven, full Ace to die. And I was like, yeah, I gotta I, that's give, what that's what I love in the books. And I want to see it. You know, I, I want to see the show pull it off. Got to give them credit, too, because in like when they were actually weaving and doing all this, they chose to thread in some slow-mo mm-hmm. and some beauty shots of like just like fucking the explosions, explosions going on while yeah. they're like you know posing you know my one of my favorites the the arrows which so catching the arrows was in the trailer Mm -hmm. and i thought eh, it just kind of looks okay i don't know but then when she turns and rains them down on them when they're running at it i was like that was cool that was cool i like that a lot yeah so i i was i was happy with the fight you know the the warders are out there kicking ass too which was nice i Um, wish we got i don't know i i i want more from the warder combat a little bit yeah i feel like it it tends to get overshadowed Mm mm-hmm by the big flashy magic happening. It's tough and to we not. just see a couple yeah. flashes of people slashing yeah. in slow motion usually. We need like a I want to see big, a big bad yeah. showdown with land versus a fade or something. You know, 1v1 big yeah. grueling long drawn out battle. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, there's a Robert Jordan has a really interesting style for writing um sword fights. Mm-hmm. We haven't really gotten it yet in the book. I wonder if we'll get it by the end. I I, I think we do, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be interested to know what you th- your thoughts are on it because it's actually kind of controversial. Oh wow, the way he writes them. Um, but I kind of like them. But mm-hmm. we'll see. It's a very stylistic thing. We'll talk about it. So yeah. look forward to our book episode, which will be coming next week on that one. Yeah. Um, but yes, okay. So uh, you know, Asa die dies. We're going into the cave, and uh, Logan starts to slip. Right, like he starts to get out, and he's and he's pushing against them. He's showing his power. 
Yeah. And this is a powerful dude, right? right? Multiple people, multiple Aes Sedai trying to hold him down with this shield. And yet he's still forcing his way out. He dissolves the cage he's in, mm-hmm. just fucking melts it. Yep. And um, and then we get this line about like the Dragon Reborn, like you know, uh, the, you, you'll be a pinprick to the sun or something like that, right? right? Like, candle, down, like, candle to the sun, like a raging sun. Right. I like that line from Moraine. I thought it was excellent, and the way she was like flexing on him with that. She's like, all you know, and she's been impressed by him all along, and she's even oh, been yeah. like, oh, this guy might be the real thing. But she's like telling him he's not here, which I thought well, I was think pretty it's cool. Very clear that all of these, and that's another thing to note. All of these seven Aes Sedai against an army would be fine. And Moiraine is not, she's extremely powerful as far as like magic has been concerned in this world, I would think. Yeah. You've seen the other, the other Aes Sedai, the, the, um, one of the first scenes of the entire show, they, they take down that other false dragon mm-hmm. and, and, or, you know, whatever channeler, male channeler, uh, channeler who's a man. And he, that might've been them capturing Loghain. I'm trying to remember. The no, 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 show. it was a different guy and they just, was they, it? Yeah. There okay. was like two people. Remember, they were like yeah. running together, and he was like, "Leave him alone, and I'll let you take me out." Or yeah, whatever. yeah, that wasn't yeah. Logan. No, I don't think so. Okay, so um, you know, they're very, very clearly powerful, and then they're being overpowered by one person at the same time is is hugely important because it's showing the scale is sort of growing as we're going. You know what I mean? Things are getting bigger and scarier. Yeah. Well, uh, and, another and, thing, another thing is the. Uh, I, somebody says that the women can't see men's weaves. Yeah, which is interesting. That's a detail from the books. Yeah. And I was very glad to see it here. Um, that makes for an interesting thing, right? Like, how do you find Invisible. something like that? You can't see. You right. can't see it. I like that you caught that. Um, uh, but I want to know your thoughts on power levels <laughs> and combating magic. And and if this guy Loghain isn't the Dragon Reborn, and he's this level of power, and it's taken this many people to hold him down, like what does that tell you about the Dragon Reborn, right? Like, a and candle, then of course we see, and then we see Nynaeve. Yeah. Boom, and then like she fucking heals a room full of people. Yeah, except and, like, a the Aes burst Sedai. of healing. Fucking except the green Aes Sedai. You know, I was like, oh, oh man, <laughs> you can't heal the last one. You heal everybody else. Isn't she but... dead though? Yeah, she, I think she, she isn't bringing dead, someone yeah. back to life. But yeah, like, she heals everybody she who's was, just injured. She, she didn't have that sliver of life left yeah. in her. In her but it's because of Lan. Yeah, who'd been injured. Yeah. Right? yeah, he was about to die. He was bleeding out. I was like, yeah. holy shit! Because I, of course, I didn't think she was gonna heal an entire room of people. I was yeah. just like, holy shit, they're gonna kill Lance. So that was a big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like thinking, I was like, Luke seems to feel like I. He seems to be hinting that there's a lot more to land than just like half. Of <laughs> yeah, you're like he fucking dies here. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I bet that was blowing your mind a little bit. Um, but that's cool, man. I'm glad, and it was a cool scene. Um, again, I think this is something from later books that gets that's getting moved up a little bit. But I think it works here, and I think um, again we're getting this change, and we hear uh, we hear tale about five potentials, right? And uh, and clearly they're bringing Nynaeve is in mm-hmm. is one of the potentials here. Mm-hmm. Um, we also that story about Owen and how he recognizes some of the signs in Matt. What did you think about that? Yeah. Matt is a potential channeler. I mean, like I kind of feel like with the Nynaeve channeling thing. I mean, I, of course she she's probably just Isodai as long and, and kind of leading us down that path in the book as well up to this point. And um, Egwene as well channeling clearly. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess they're all going to channel as might would yeah. be my theory. If Matt seems like he's got the makings of one to to Tom at least. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a spoiler to talk about book knowledge. Yeah. So maybe let's. I want to save that right here for the very end. I will give you a warning. I'm going to get into some book knowledge. But just real quick, we both love this last episode. I think this is this is a good sign. We're both excited going forward and to the, to see the next ones. But overall thoughts about the state of the show. 
the nature of the magic, the nature of the uh, the characters, everything where we're at right now. Uh, how do you feel going forward? I I think I hinted and said basically just as much at the beginning, but I feel like I can trust the sh- the, the filmmakers. I, f- I feel like I trust Rafe Judkins. I think he, yeah. he, you know, it's been rocky to get to this point, but I think it's like there's so much pressure to have a successful show. I think that like maybe like the, there's not enough goodwill out there for, for him to feel like he with audiences to feel like he can take his time as much. And he feels like he needs to get into the meat of it to where yeah. people are invested and cool things are happening. Well, 14 um, books is a lot, man. You're not going to get 14 seasons in no, this thing. No game of Thrones only got, you know, eight. Yeah. Or whatever, eight, yeah. yeah. And, that, and that was still a long show for that. Right. Yeah. I, I think that with everything that's gone on, I feel finally at the end of episode four that I can trust the show. I'm looking forward to it. It's not my favorite show I've ever seen, but yeah. I am really excited about the potential. And are you excited to go back to the books now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I want to know what ends and how this book ends. How this still, book ends. still so many unanswered yeah. things, and yeah. I want to see this Eye of the World that I keep you know, talking about. I'm like, what's happening? Why is the yeah. book called Eye of the World if we're not going to get there? Yeah, what a cool shot, too, when her hair yeah. blasts up in the, and it yeah. becomes unbraided. Yeah, unbraided is like a, obviously a significant thing, too, because something they braid them yeah, in the two rivers. There, and, yeah. Yeah. Interesting, right? Um, so the other thing with, you know, the, there is one line. Loghain repeats Moraine's line, and he says... Like a raging sun or something when he's looking yeah. at her. And I want to ask you, am I just a jaded, am I just like a fucking jaded movie TV watcher who's been spending too much time reviewing shit to where like when a line like get, gets repeated, I'm like, eh, it's too much. Like, yeah, I could see that. To, to me, I'm like, I, I didn't need it again. Right. I thought that was implied in the moment. Mm-hmm. She's obviously bright like a sun. He's right. obviously impressed and like kind of like blown away with the power he's seeing i didn't need him to say it in the moment it felt cheesy but then i'm like maybe we do sometimes i think it's a taste thing at that point you know sometimes i think it's going to be you kind of have to aim for the lowest common person watching the show to make sure they're catching some of this stuff and i think people like us are going to forgive it if it's a little cornball at the moment or whatever a little too much and the thing that i hated is it undercut the power of the earlier scene because it made it all about this moment whereas i actually just liked that moment when it happened right yeah it's one of those things where like you see this with like indie films and other things that can be more experimental and more about like letting the audience interpret yeah show like this they can't afford to take chances with the kind of stuff they gotta make sure this is make sure you get it well, yeah. they made sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I I love the potential. I'm super excited going forward. Um, I think now we are going to let you guys go. If you don't want to hear us talk about a book thing, I just have one quick book thing I want to ask you. All right. So in the books, we have the strong implication that the Dragon Reborn is a man. Mm-hmm. In the show, they have opened it up and said maybe it's a woman, right? right? In the books, it being a man means that the magic of the Dragon Reborn potentially has this taint to it, right? right? Like this this thing that makes you mad. Right. There's a moment in this episode where the she's talking with the other Ace to die and she says, What if the dragon re- what if someone what if he is the dragon reborn and we need him to fight this battle and we're going to gentle him or bring him, you know, and we're going to shield him or we're going to block him from being able to use the power because we're worried about the madness. Mm-hmm. This I think is an essential question of the series right and i think i don't know how they can still do this if they open up the idea of a woman being the one with it because the woman side of the magic is not tainted 
Yeah, it's interesting too because it's like, is this opening and I like a conversation to be had about gender? Yeah, and and you know what I mean. Is this a conversation Maybe. where even if the dragon is a woman, could the magic could the they magic still, they be still be touching the the tainted magic? Yeah, yeah. you know, like yeah, like it's maybe playing with with something like that. Yeah, the, leaving the door. They could, open. I guess. Yeah. But but what are your thoughts on that? Like right, like yeah. uh, clearly the Ace and I feel like these these men go insane when they're touching this magic and they start fucking killing people, and like we haven't we've even barely heard, but like they, they are known throughout history as being monsters. They 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 raise up armies. They say they're the dragon reborn. People come to follow them, yep. and then they start losing their shit. They lose their minds, and right. then they start killing people. Right. And it always turns into bad. And so the Ace and I are like, we got to prevent this from happening. Mm-hmm. But then, if this is the you know these are the moments, this is the moment where we need the dragon reborn. Yet he's still going to have this tainted magic, mm-hmm. and he's going to maybe start being affected by it. That's like, yeah. What do you do? Like, yeah. what what do the Ace and I do? There? I mean, it's a good question. They keep talking in the show a lot about like, will the dragon reborn save the world or destroy it? Yeah, you know, bring ruin again, restart the cycle, whatever is going to happen. But it would. It's interesting to think about this like omnipotent circle that's doing its own thing if you break one key piece of it if you break the fact if the if the dragon is e- neither able to destroy or save the world what happens to the rotation can mm. we break outside of that can something else happen? there was an interesting moment where uh Loghain was saying the wheel wants this and the wheel wants that and i think right. there's more rain says the wheel doesn't want anything right it just goes it along. just is yeah um so yeah i i don't know I'm, I'm not there's no answer to this right now but i i wanted to highlight that this is a big question and it was interesting to me that it made it into the show mm-hmm. yet we haven't established a way in which it still works mm-hmm. based off of what i know in the show and what they're doing with the dragon reborn status so i'm going to be curious to see how they address that going forward that's why i did want to touch on it in our show episode yeah anyway we've gone long there was a lot to talk about but If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever app you chose to listen on. Uh, Apple Apple Podcasts is like the perfect place. Leave us a review on there. I'd love to see us get to 100 ratings soon. That would be amazing. So uh, we'd love it if you did that. Yeah, make sure to connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those at Ink to Film. And join our Council of Inklings. We actually have a link for our Discord in there, which has been a lot of fun, a great way to interact more closely with our audience, like sort of more direct. And uh, if you wanted that link, you could also get it from any other social media platform. Just like message us and we'll we'll send it over. That reminds me I need to post a new one because it expires like weekly or something. Anyway, I'll post a new one. Um, And uh, yeah, if you also, if you wanted to support us and you were like, man, this show is really good. I want to really support them. We have a Patreon and... It's not just giving us money. We have a lot of bonus content on there. We referenced earlier how we might watch this this other version of this uh, of, of this this uh, show. Adaptation. Yeah, it's not about when. It, it's not about if we will. It's when we when will, we will. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. We watch like alternate adaptations. We watch sequels to adaptations. We watch weird stuff. Do experimental stuff. It's a lot of fun over there, and we, we we are a little looser with it, and we think we put out good stuff. If you want a taste of that, you can see our From the Vault episodes from, like, years past. Anyway, go over to patreon.com slash inktofilm. We have that. We have, like, uh, merch, which has uh, our logos on it, all kinds of cool bonuses and stuff on there, lots of different tiers. Check that out. See if, it's inter- see if it interests you. We'd love to have you on there. And thank you to Sirius Beat for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, man. So next week we are going back to the book to finish out the eye of the world. But clearly, I think it's going to end somewhere that the show is going to surpass. 
and already has in some ways. Right. So it'll be good. It'll be kind of cool, I think, to go do that and then come back and see where the show takes us. Um, and then we'll have to decide. Season two comes around. How do we tackle it? Right. Where, when do we read book two? Um, yeah. These are all questions we'll be coming to answers with uh, hopefully soon. Um, we've already talked about how we have a little bit of a weird release schedule with that. So, you know, look for that elsewhere. We'll talk about it online. Anyway, thank you all for listening. And until next time, keep adapting. Keep adapting.